All right, Justin, sing me your favorite TV show intro. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Now you put me on the spot with this. I'll this is give hard. you a clarification. You can actually have a little bit more fun with this. It could be your favorite song, or it could just be what intro you think is the best. Even if you don't necessarily think the songs the best, but visually and everything, you think that this is the best intro type of situation. Hmm. Man, I have to admit these these WandaVision intros have been on point, but I don't yeah, know the words true. to them or minimize them or or memorize them well, or anything like that. It does change every episode. So yeah, yeah. So um. So I'll just give them a shout out, but I don't think I can pick them for this man. What I just, I guess I'd just be better to sing just one of my favorites. We'll just go with that. Uh, oh my God, I'm going Disney here and I'm trying to think of which one I like the best out of these two. I'll give you one in a second. Uh, we'll go with, uh, yeah, we'll go, we'll go with Chippendale. Uh, let me just sing the hook from it. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-
See, that means you've right? never worst watched intro. the two shows that I know. Because they worst hands down have intro. the worst. <laughs> hmm. Wow. I, 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 you got me, man. I don't, I cannot think of one where I'm just like, uh, it's terrible or it's the worst. Come back to me. Maybe I'll have something by the time you come back. Come back to me. <laughs> Heather, what about you? Ooh, that's tough. Honestly, and again, it's a weird one because I love the show, but the song kind of annoys me. Uh, it's the new girl one. She's like, hey, girl, what you doing? Like, it's just very, it doesn't fit quite with the show. Like, the show is not as, like, peppy and upbeat as the song is. And I know it's supposed to be ironic, but it's also extremely long. It's a very long theme song. Because they just want Zoe Deschanel to sing, which is fine because she's got a great voice. But the song is not very fitting with the show. So, Well, it is fitting because it's a terrible show. Oh, boy. So, uh, Justin, what about you, though? Did you think of anything? Okay. I don't know if I can call this the worst one, but I do think it's at least the intro. I don't think really does justice for how good the show is. And I'm going to go with house on this one. I mean, you huh. got your damn mind, Justin. Dude, Massive it's just attack a simple ass. Kills that song. But you I don't know get the to artist. hear any of That's that. How much all I know. you get is just that. All you get is just that little part. And it's all. Dun, 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 piano. That's it. That's all it is. And the show's <laughs> awesome. But I don't think that song really like. Man, massive I mean, it's attack. It's so just uneventful. Kills it on that. It's so uneventful. Uneventful. <laughs> Out your damn mind, Justin. I think the reason why you think that is because you haven't heard the two songs that I know are the worst. The first one is the theme song to Star Trek Enterprise with Scott Bakula. Hmm. Because it's fucking terrible. It's like a Brian Adams song. <laughs> and it's the theme song for Star Trek, a Star Trek series. And it's all acoustic guitar and this guy's singing about like waiting on tomorrow and some shit. It sucks so bad. Go YouTube it, everybody. Go YouTube the intro song to Star Trek Enterprise. If you also need verification, I know Justin can do this. Uh, Justin, just message Katie and ask her how she feels about that song. And she will say that that is the song of her nightmares. Damn. <laughs> because I used to watch that show all the time when me and her lived together. And she would just hate it every time she heard it. Song of her nightmares. Now, the other one is a great show. Phenomenal show. But hands down, probably the worst intro music ever. And that is NYPD Blue. <laughs> because it starts with like orchestral music. It's all like violin going. And it's all like piano and shit. It's all orchestral and sounds pretty. And then like it's a typical 90s drum beat just drops in the middle of it. It's all <laughs> and then like weird 90s techno beat over orchestral music and they don't line up like technically it's like the drum beat is like four times as fast as the orchestral song is what it sounds like like it lines up technically you know but it sounds like an assault on the senses it is it's disturbing <laughs> because it, the song sounds like it's having an identity crisis and so you're watching this intro 
and you're having an identity crisis whilst listening to it. It is disturbing <laughs> on a psychological level. So also, go YouTube that. NYPD Blue intro music. It's terrible. I'm telling you, if you guys go YouTube these after this episode, you will go, yeah, Sterling's right. It sure as fuck. Not that great-ass Massive Attack song that they do for House. <laughs> Ouch, damn mind, Justin. <laughs> Nah, man, they don't, they don't, they could have picked something better than that. Man, I own that song on iTunes, dude, because it is. It's well, a I don't hear the song. song. All I hear is that little part. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's not enough. It's just it's fucking great. It's just so like, man, out. Damn, my, I don't think I've ever disagreed with you more in my life, Justin. That's a strong statement. About anything. I don't think we disagreed about heredity or hereditary. More than I disagree with you about this. <laughs> oh, yuck. Pew. I'm just saying, Justin, I am more likely to say that the Dallas Cowboys are my favorite football team before Ooh. I will say that that's a bad song. Oh, that is strong. I, I just couldn't wait to skip it anytime I binge in house. It's just so convenient Out to be able to skip that mind, intro. Dude. It's oh. just so convenient. You feel oh. the fire. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-bong. <laughs> Come on, dude. Come on, man. Come on, man. Seriously. Out your damn mind, dude. It's a fucking classic. <laughs> fucking classic. Oh, it makes classic. me laugh. It's so bad. It makes me laugh. It's so bad. Justin, you just oh. think it's bad because you've got no point of reference. I'm telling you, dude, during this episode, <laughs> I will send you the links to the two songs I'm talking about. For you to listen to when we're done. And you will go, yep, Sterling's right. I promise you. On that note, because everybody probably thinks I'm asking about intro songs and everything like that. Because, you know, we're doing a TV, you know, thing. About different seasons of television and all this other stuff. But that's not really the case at all. That's because we're actually also debuting a new fucking intro song. And you're going to hear that now. Slayers. 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 Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Justin. I'm Justin? No, I'm not. I'm Sterling. Holy fuck, I did drink a little too much really <laughs> fast before this. Let me try that again. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin, not by Heather and Sterling, because that would be weird. So, you know, there we go. That was weird. You've never done that before. That was really weird. How much did you drink, though? <laughs> I chugged like three beers real quick while we were kind of getting ready. When I was like stuffing my face <laughs> oh, full, okay. full of food right before we recorded this. In like whoa. 20 minutes time. I'm just saying, whoa. <laughs> I need to maybe admit I have a problem now. <laughs> I've, maybe I've drunk myself to the point where I think I'm Justin. And I don't know if I like that. Because Justin doesn't like the theme song to House. <laughs> I think I what just kind of flustered you with that. I think I just flustered you with that. You're just so messed up right now. Because you're like, oh, man, how come he doesn't like ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-bong? How can he not like that? <laughs> I mean, and it really True. sucks because <laughs> that is the first intro after our new song. And I 
plucked it so hard. But then at the same time, I, I know you've probably never seen this, Justin, but the show How I Met Your Mother, apparently the, the, the character in that show, Ted Mosby, um, he thinks when he drinks bourbon that he turns into an amazing beatboxer. And it turns out that that's just <laughs> the bourbon talking. And he's actually a terrible beatboxer. He just thinks he sounds good. And your like little house theme song thing sounds just like him in reality whenever he's a terrible beatboxer. Because <laughs> at one point he literally goes, <laughs> and you sound just like it. Every single time you've done that in this, I literally keep thinking of that exact scene. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I just want to throw that out there because it's literally every time you do that, I literally hear him do it in his like hoodie over his head with a microphone in front of his face and everybody just staring at him going, what the fuck is this guy doing? So I guess it is fitting because everybody else in the world would go, why the fuck is Justin attacking that a beautiful massive attack song? Yeah. Ain't nobody gonna say that, man. Man, everybody in the fucking say world will say that. Ouch, goddamn mind, Justin. Anyway, this is Cinema Slayers. We're doing a fun episode for you guys where we're gonna talk about our four favorite seasons of television ever. And we even have them ranked. So it's a definitive ranking from us, at least on our side, what we think is a definitive ranking of TV seasons. So when we get to our number one, we're not saying, oh, this is one of four. No, we're saying that this is the best season of television to us. So um, with that, I guess we're going to go through all these shows. There might be spoilers. So if you get to a TV show that you haven't listened to or a TV season you haven't like watched or anything like that, maybe skip ahead a little bit because inherently there will be some spoilers just off the basis of us talking about these things. And I will say this, we have seen each other's lists. None of these are really that new. Like, some of them are kind of new, but they're not that new. So just get on it and watch the shit. Just saying. So we're going to start this off with our number four picks. And we're going to start this off with Justin, because this idea is his brainchild. It's his baby. So Justin, bird the baby. Okay. So the first um, one that I wanted to talk about on this list, which... I mean, this was just to give some context. This was very difficult to do. I mean, when I thought of it at the time, I was just thinking, oh, you know, that would just be a fun podcast to do. And it would definitely fill up some time. But going through this and actually trying to do it, man, it just kind of puts in perspective how difficult this is. I mean, you don't really think I don't or at least I didn't realize just how many shows I've seen over the years and then actually liked or thought were very good or thought were of high quality and things like that. You know, I've there, there are quite a few shows that I have enjoyed throughout my life. And then it's another thing entirely to try to pick apart that show and then come up with a season that you think was the best. I mean, just, you know, it's hard enough you know, to list my four favorites or something like that, but then to have to then dissect it and come up with a season, man, it's, it is very difficult. And honestly, out of all of the polls, I think we've done for like cinema slayers polls and stuff. 
Um, because we always try to poll people before we do an episode, a topic episode like this and just kind of ask, Hey, what is your opinion of this? Or do you have a, a list of favorite TV shows, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to say this might be the least number of responses <laughs> we ever got. And I don't think it's, um, because, uh, you know, the, the, the subject wasn't interesting or anything like that. But I just think it just kind of shows how difficult this is to do. This yeah, is something that, yeah, this is something that not a lot of people want to do is sit there and try to pick a favorite season from their favorite show. So, yeah, this is incredibly difficult and this was hard. And who knows? I may wake up tomorrow and some of these might change. But for tonight, let's put that little disclaimer out there for tonight. Uh, this is where I'm at with these. So I just wanted to, and I tried to just narrow it down to what do I revisit the most? Wh- which seasons are, are, are there scenes, are there events that I go to YouTube and rewatch often? Are there episodes in within that season that I can go back and watch and say, man, you know, uh, th- this was just peak television for me. There was this was just unforgettable. I'll never forget some of these scenes. I'll never forget some of these moments. So when I narrowed it down, I tried to pick seasons that had what I felt were the largest collections of great moments and stuff like that. I think there are a lot of seasons to a lot of TV shows that have uh, you know, one or two great moments in them. There are some seasons that have great finales in them, but every, but I think it's really special when you get a season that has a couple of different events in it, several events that you can point to and say, man, that was a great uh, moment for this show. That was a memorable scene for this show. That was a memorable moment for that character. This was something they took a bold, they made some bold choices in this season that they hadn't done the seasons before and it just stands out to you. So I tried to look at those little things to see what would separate each of these seasons for me. So that's just a little context. But for my number four, I went with The Office season three. Um, So to quickly give some background on The Office. Now, The Office is a show that I revisit often and it's just very, very rewatchable, especially like the first, I would say four to five seasons um, of The Office are like super rewatchable. And I know that there's kind of like this subculture of people that are where it's just commonplace for them to just rewatch The Office over and over and over again. It's just kind of something that is done, you know, something that people do. And uh, I hate to admit it, or I don't know, maybe I love to admit it. I am kind of one of those people where every now and then I just go back and I just revisit The Office. I start with ep- season one, episode one, and I will just go through watching them uh, until I get to the end. And then I'll take a break from it. And then, but, but I always seem to wind up coming back to it. Now, sometimes, you know, I'm watching these episodes while I work out or maybe I'm cooking something. So it's on in the background. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm sitting here just intently watching, but, but, you know, it's fun to revisit. It's an easy watch. It's a brisk, you know, 19 to 20 minutes of episode 
And it just seems like every episode just it, it, it just had a they just really hit stride in the later seasons and had a great flow. And it just has a great structure to it every episode. And to me, it's just a really easy watch. And I still catch myself laughing at certain scenes and what different people are doing. And sometimes even on a rewatch, it makes me appreciate other actors and what other people brought to the table. And I was like, you know what? His performance in this is really underrated. You know, I, I, I that happens to me sometimes. Like once I remember one, like even here recently, I was revisiting some episodes from um, season three and the actor that plays Stanley, there were a lot of times where I was like, man, dude, I really did not appreciate him as much as I should have my first time I was watching this. And so there are just little people that just kind of stand out to me. But the reason why I chose season three is because when I think about it, I think it just has some of the best collection of moments in the office season, Um, you know, and I'll just run through a few things that are in season three and why I think it's pound for pound the best season. Uh, The prison Mike episode is in season three, and I won't explain every single one of these, but I just will just kind of go through them as quickly as I can. Uh, just to give you guys a chance to talk. But, um, but you know, like I said, the, this is the episode with Prison Mike, which is a memorable episode where Michael Scott tries to talk the team into uh, not liking prison more than the office because there was a long story short, there was a new worker uh, that, that started with them and he had spent some time in jail. They, the corporate found out, Michael found out. So, the office, of course, found out. And a lot of them were um, listening to him tell stories about being in prison. And Michael took it upon himself to change into one of his personas, Prison Mike, and try to talk sense into the office of why they shouldn't uh, glorify the fact that this guy went to prison. But it's a memorable episode. It's one that kind of stands out that people remember. So, yeah, that's in there. Uh, this Season three is the first season where we really get uh, Andy Bernard, who come who becomes a staple character in the office. So uh, we get him. We get Karen Filippelli, who was another character that really, I thought, had some great moments in this season. And she gets to interact a lot with Jim and Pam. And she kind of becomes the focal point of this love triangle between Jim and Pam. So I think she was an important character that we got for this episode. Um, and, and the actress uh, Rashida Jones uh, wound up leaving this show so that she could do parks and Rec. So I really think that, you know, th- this, her acting and her performance in season three it is another one of those things where when you're looking back at Rashida Jones and what she's done and stuff like that, I really thought that she was good here. I thought she was great alongside uh, uh, her character was great alongside Jim and Pam in season three. This is where we get to actually see a little bit more of David Wallace. We really get to meet him. We really get to see him interact with the cast and stuff like that. And David Wallace kind of like our um, our corporate uh, manager, our our boss boss to Michael Scott. 
he's a character that comes into play um, in a lot of the episodes later on after season three and a lot of the later seasons. So it, we get introduced to him here and we get to kind of see him here and things like that. And he has some great moments in season three. Uh, him and Jan, I thought, had a great moment towards the end of season three when when they're talking about Jan's job and everything like that. So I thought that he had a great moment. Um, the the Ben Franklin uh, episode is also in here. And if you've seen The Office, you know what I'm talking about. The Benjamin Franklin episode w- was was another great one um, in this season. The infamous bat attack where Dwight finds a bat and a bat gets loose and gets uh, sprung into the office. That's in season three. Uh, This also is the episode uh, with Pam's painting is in season three. And her and Michael kind of have this great moment um, in season three. So I think that that's another great thing about this uh, this season. Um, also, I do think that season three also has some of the best um, opening scenes in the office. Like, I, I mean, like if you've never seen the office before, they always kind of have these opening scenes and it'll involve a few of the characters and maybe something happens that's funny or it might be some sort of personality trait about the character or it may be a character trying to do something and maybe they fail miserably or it's the the Jim character playing a prank on on the Dwight character whatever the case may be but in the uh, but in season 3 it has some of the best like scene um episode openings I think in the office because there's a, there's one hilarious iconic one where Jim dresses up as Dwight and sits down at the at his desk uh, and he starts impersonating Dwight. He's wearing the same shirt that Dwight wears and he's just impersonating him. Everything that he says, he says it like him. He asks Dwight a question, but he asked it like in a way that Dwight would ask it. And then it's so hilarious. And then at the end of it, I believe that Dwight says something like, Jim, identity theft is a crime, Jim. It's a very serious crime. And I mean, you you know, it's one of those where if you've never seen the show, maybe that's not as funny as it sounds right now. But man, it's one of those like golden moments uh, in the office. I think that's one of the most memorable like opening scenes that's in season three. Um, Also, it uh, without saying too much about it, but it kind of marks the end of this back and forth with Jim and Pam. And if you had been there for seasons one and two with them, will they, won't they, they kind of play this game with Jim and Pam in the first three seasons of will they or won't they, will they ever get together and stuff like that. And man, like season three, I think really just amplified it with, uh, with the Karen character, with Rashida Jones's character, and then the whole love triangle situation and them going back and forth. And then Pam's ex, um, ex fiance Roy comes back into the picture for a little bit. And there's this back and forth. And there's kind of these realizations that the characters make where they finally start being honest with each other. And, and it happens for different reasons. And we finally arrive to a satisfying point with those characters. And I think that the season ends in that perfect way where we finally 
get kind of what we had been wanting up to that point. So I think that the combination of all of that, all of these iconic moments, all of these memorable episodes, some of the most memorable in the office history, and that covers a lot of ground. And then kind of the satisfying way that season three ended to me makes it overall the the best season of the office, in my opinion. I mean, I, I struggle with this, Justin, because I think you can make a strong case for any season of the office season two through like seven, because seven being when yeah, Michael Scott leaves. And I mean, at times, like it's one of those things I'm going to feel you know, maybe stronger about a different season or here and there, but it's one of those things that I think when I look at the office and, and, and fans of the office and stuff like that, I think season three does have some of those utterly iconic things. I mean, when you have the beach day episode and Dwight crawling on hot coals, man, and just that last scene of the season and I mean, I'm going to spoil it. I don't give a fuck when Jim comes in and goes, Hey, are you free for dinner Saturday? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, it's a date. And then just, she just looks at the camera and I mean, Jenna Fisher's like straight up looks like she's in love with John Krasinski and that they're finally going to be getting together some shit. Like it looks like the truest of true loves ever. And then she just sits there and goes, wait, what, what was the question? And I'll be damned if that is not one of the best sitcom sitcom season endings out there. Like, yeah, there's and, and the so great thing about ones. is that. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say there's so many good like season finales out there, but I'm just as far as the sitcom goes, that is like sitcom perfection right there. Yeah, I, I get that. And the cool thing about it is that not a lot was said, not a lot was done, but most of that is how Pam reacted. And it was all in her face. And just that look said everything. And, the, you know, and it wasn't much dialogue. Like you said, all it was was, wait, what was the question again? That was pretty much the dialogue. But like the look on her face said it all. And it was just like such a great moment. And it just ends you like you couldn't wait to get into that next season to find out what was going to happen as a result of that. So I just think that was what, like you said, it was one of the most perfect ways to end a season, especially because for three seasons, we had developed the possibility of them getting together. And then you to finally get that satisfaction that this really is going to happen. I think that just, you know, it's hard to, find too many moments that are comparable to that though the office has some you know the, there are some comparable i guess you could say but still it's one of those that just really really just stands out it does it does heather any thoughts on something you haven't seen <laughs> um all i'll say is i'm sad that i haven't watched it yet and i know it's my own fault but it's on my list of things to watch i am in the one percent group of people who have not watched the office i've seen episodes like multiple episodes of it but i've never watched it all the way through or anything so i know the highlights i know what happens in a lot of stuff but i just i need to watch it that's kind of all i have to say about it it's one of the most easily bingeable shows out there i know i know so i should just do it you should have already done it that you should just do it you should have already i done know it. 
I know. Anyway, after that disgrace of, you know, Heather admitting she hasn't watched it. Um, you guys want to move to the next one? Sure. Yes. All right. I'm going to throw everybody for a loop here. I'll go next. I know I typically go last in this, these sequences. And I'll change up the order every every round. But this one I want to go last. Or this one I want to go now. Because I can. Why not? Um, I'm actually going to do a show that's got a weird cult status to it. Uh, it definitely is not as... It's definitely way more popular now than it was back then. But I'm actually going to go with Twin Peaks Season 1. Uh, I think that season sets the bar for like a story arc whole season and maintaining that. And this was the early nineties and this was an eight episode season. Now they did like 22 in the next season, but the first season was eight. And so when it, with this season is like, this, it sets up a murder mystery because like in the first, what, two minutes of this, the show, they find the dead body of a high school girl, Laura Palmer. And like, it's like, bam, who did it? Who in the small town killed Laura Palmer? And then it's just got all the terrible acting you could ever want. And they do not <laughs> shy away from it because they fill everything up with it. And it's amazing. But <laughs> it's an incredibly captivating mystery. I mean, it's it's like the small town thing. And so, like, of course, everyone's fucking each other. You've got best friends fucking their best friends, significant other. You've got cheating significant others like with adults it's everybody's fucking everybody everybody's got these secrets like you know you've got these corrupt people with the money that control the hotel and they're trying to get a business in there and so it's like all these weird misdirections because no one is who they like no one is who anybody else thinks they are everyone's got a secret everyone's lying everyone's on some shit even if it isn't anything illegal, like some of them are up to illegal shit, but then some of them are just, yeah, they're, they're fucking their best friend's girlfriend, you know? So they want to hide that. And so it's the FBI agent comes and he's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of twists and turns to it that make it incredibly, incredibly satisfying. I mean, it really is. It's a great mystery. Now you don't find out who did it in season one. I'll say that now. You find out in season two. I'm not saying that that's good. I'm not saying you when you find out anything, it's good. And the funny thing is, is what this TV show is the most known for and why I picked it is because Twin Peaks is what made the X-Files possible. If hmm. there was no Twin Peaks, there'd be no X-Files. And there's been so many references back to X-Files. Or, I mean, back to Twin Peaks. A psych does an episode that's like full of Twin Peaks actors and actresses. You know, mm -hmm. it's called Dual Spires. So it's the ripping off of the name and stuff. And they even came back a few years ago and did a season three of Twin Peaks. I won't get into that because it's utter nonsense and garbage. Um, but the, a lot of the things that the show is known for, oddly enough, aren't in season one. Even though I'm choosing season one, it's not. When you get into a lot of the weird supernatural things and all the craziness and demons and alternate dimensions and all this other stuff. That's all season two. But once again, there'd be no season two without this season one. And I think the season one did hook people in because it got immediately greenlit for a season two. Then season two went off the rails and then it got canceled <laughs> because it went too fucking insane. 
But I think you, you look at a show like Riverdale. I was a huge, huge fan of the first season of Riverdale. And that's because it followed almost the exact same yeah. formula. Small town. Somebody f- is found dead at the beginning. It's like 10 episodes. It's short. It's about this. There's not any filler. It's just a murder mystery with all these secrets and deceptions and all this greatness. And then season two went off the rails because then it got a full season. Mm. Then it went to 22 episodes and then it went to ape shit. Like it went ape shit crazy and was garbage. <laughs> it did not get better at all. No, yeah. no way. And it's it's funny that Riverdale followed the Twin Peaks formula. You do a short first season, get people hooked yeah. and then ruin the show. That first season was so good. I totally agree. Yeah. Riverdale. I haven't seen Twin Peaks. And so like, that's another reason why I give Twin Peaks credit is other shows have stolen its formula. You know, a lot of shows, I think it kind of set the bar, even though this was the 1990s, this was 1990 when it came out of doing the whole, it's a weird concept. So we're going to do a short first season. And I love it. I love short seasons. I think 10 episodes is the perfect number of episodes for a season of television, especially like prestige television, like long form storytelling. I mean, a sitcom, sure. Have 22 of them, half hour, who cares? But I think if you're doing long form narratives with a big overarching story arc, I think 10 is perfect. You don't get any filler. It's just every episode matters more. And I give Twin Peaks credit for that, you know? And it's just, it's just one of those shows that I think set the bar for a lot of things. Like I said, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is The X-Files, hands down. And the reason why I don't put an X-Files season on my list and I put a Twin Peaks on there is Twin Peaks is the reason X-Files exists. That's fair. Yeah. And so it's like more or less like I have to pay, I have to pay my respects to the originator, you know? And like I said, it is such a great mystery. And yes, well, granted, you do get let down in season two whenever they unravel everything. And it's just an utter fucking mess. I think if they had kept with what this was, it'd probably be one of the greatest shows of all time. But they didn't. But that's neither here nor there. That doesn't affect the quality of the first season. Because, like I said, if you watch any sort of murder mystery show where it's a long form narrative mystery, not talking about like a murder she wrote where they catch a killer every episode. But I'm talking about like you go into something like a Wayward Pines, uh, which is an M. Night Shyamalan show, but it's kind of the same type of thing. You go into uh, was that there was a show called Happy Island. Uh, there's like shows like that where it's kind of a murder mystery show in a town, like in a small town and stuff like that. They all owe it to Twin Peaks. Mm. So I, I just I have to I have to give it that credit because. It Like I said, it's the originator of that form of storytelling. See, that also includes Big Little Lies. It does. It would include that. Yeah, it's super good. You know? Yeah. You know, granted, like a lot of those shows, or at least Big Little Lies, probably didn't go supernatural in the end. But I mean, and that's the <laughs> thing is, they do, ha- they do kind of hint towards some supernatural-ness, if you will. Very, very subtly. It's nowhere near as overt as it gets later in the show but it 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 hints towards it a lot and and i love that like i said that's also what helped lead into the x-files and stuff but yes i think twin peaks season one no matter what is worth a shot watch it and you will be hooked and you'll watch season two and you'll just be thinking what the fuck just happened and that's fair 100 percent fair i've watched season two of twin peaks like 
probably 10 times and I don't know if I can really tell you what actually happens. It's fair. It's fine. I understand. But no matter what, Twin Peaks, the first season will hook you. Bad acting and all. You will love it. And it has got a weird theme song too. It kind of sounds like save point music on a Final Fantasy game. Like weird harpsichord type shit. But for some reason, it fucking fits this show. So do you guys have any thoughts on a show you haven't watched? <laughs> I don't, but I can, I totally get what you mean. And I respect that you did the whole, like, I got to give respect to the originator before the other shows. Because, yeah, I mean, especially if it is very responsible for X-Files, like you've mentioned multiple times on this podcast that that's like one of your all-time favorite shows and it wouldn't exist without it. So I I'd agree. I think that that's a good way to look at it. And it gives a different perspective. And I, again, I haven't seen it, but even just based on like you were talking about like the psych episode that does it, even based on that, if it's anywhere near as like super weird and crazy as that episode is, then I get, um, I get what you mean. So yeah, it makes sense. Anything, Justin? Man, I'm sitting here trying to think, well, man, I just haven't seen it. So it's just so hard to say, but, uh, but I mean, I like, uh, some of the points you gave and as, and as far as kind of what you said about, you know, you got to give homage to the original and you got to, um, if something is a trendsetter, you try to give credit where credit's due. That was, I definitely under, at least understand that sentiment because that was kind of a problem I had with some of the choices that I had. As a matter of fact, that was a problem I had with, uh, two shows that it came down to. If from my number two spot, but I'll get into that a little bit later when we get there. But yeah, I do understand the the sentiment of trying to give some of the originators credit because I struggled with some shows that I wanted to put on here for that reason. I was like, man, uh, you know, should I put this here? Because really, if it wasn't for this show, then this show that I like wouldn't really exist. So should I really pay homage to this show or do I go with the one that I, you know, liked more or watch more and stuff like that. And so tonight I chose to go with what I watch more, but no, I totally understand the sentiment. So I get it, even though I haven't seen the show. And formulas that are just like, you know, this is the originator, but the formula has been done and done maybe in a better way or a more creative way. Or something yeah. like that. That's fair too. So I, I definitely see both sides of it. But um, yeah, I don't think there's anything necessarily like going one way or the other. I mean, because obviously it's a show that it's not like you're saying, oh, I hated Twin Peaks, but I love X-Files. You know, it's like the reason that you love X-Files is based off of how good Twin Peaks was and what the story was like. So makes sense. All right, Heather, your turn. What's your number four? So my number four, and this is probably going to be a mixed opinion to our viewers out there like it was for forever. Um, so I'm going with a show. It's not it's not necessarily one that I watch over and over, but it is one that when I first watched it and I was behind on watching it because I do that sometimes with shows, but <laughs> clearly with The Office. But um, I had just I've never seen anything like it before. Um, so my number four pick is Lost season one. And I'm not condoning the entire show and what they do with it. 
Um, specifically, the last season was not good. But that first season, I think, was so well done because, you know, like I said, I had never, at least for me, I had never seen anything like it where you have all these people that are strangers and, you know, they're stranded and crash on this island. And each episode, you're getting the backstory of a different person in that show and how they kind of fit into this, you know, scenario where they're all on this island stuck together. And you just kind of see different storylines where they've already kind of crossed paths in some way, even if it's not necessarily themselves, but like they knew mutual people or, you know, just kind of lives that are intertwining and connecting. And I just think that the way they did that in this show was so, so good. And I mean, I just from the first episode, I was just like, I need to know what's happening. And every episode ends on such a cliffhanger and you're just you're just trying to figure out like what is this island what is happening who are these people what's going to go down and i just feel like it was one of the most suspenseful shows i had seen because it was just they they just wrote it so well to where you get the cliffhangers but it pays off because as the season progresses you're figuring out more about what's going on But you're also just getting a lot of character development, especially in that first season, because you end up like the people you think you're going to hate in the show. You end up being like, that person's great. And the person you think you're going to love in the show, you're like, nope, (laughs) not so much. So it's just and it's just kind of like life, you know, like these characters are very well developed. They all have their ups and downs and good and bad sides. And it's just characters where you're not going to specifically be like, this person's all good or this person's all bad. And you kind of see their motivations and why they're doing what they're doing or whatever it may be or what they've overcome, things like that. And I just, I feel like it was just so genius at the time. And I mean, I know they've done movies like that, but a show, like a whole entire show based on that, I had not seen that before. And Man, I just, I really think it was so creative and so well done. And they made a lot of profound points and they, they talk a lot about like, you know, your past is your past. You got to be a different person now. And we're stuck on this island together. So let's figure it out and let's just be the people we are here. And like, it's just really, I don't know. It's just so good and very relatable, but I don't know. There was just something about it and they had good action, you know, um, Good, just good storylines. Like you just feel like they had really thought out these storylines for each character. I feel like halfway through the show, they didn't try as hard, <laughs> but that remains a different story. But for the first season, they were on point. Every episode was so good. Every episode was so interesting and it drew you in and it really just left me at least like wanting more every time. So for me, that's why this is on mine. It's not by any means a show I consider like one of my all-time favorite shows. But if we're talking just like individual seasons of shows, man, it's so good. It is so, so good. Like the show in general, I do like. But that first season, it's just it was so different and original at the time. And I had just never seen it done so well. Um, So... Yeah, that's why I'm picking that one for my number four spot. Well, I guess I have an admission to make. I've never fucking watched yes. an episode of Lost, so I got jack shit to say on this. Uh, 
I mean, I, I, I guess I'll do what you did with me. I agree with the sentiment or I understand the sentiment of might not be your favorite show or anything like that. But if you look at it, especially within the context of what we're talking about and looking at an individual season, the show might have sucked after that. But if that sh that season is what it is, you know, yeah. you can't hold season, you know, six against the quality of season one. Season one's quality is still there. Right. So I get that. That's all I And that's what's interesting is like I have a lot of shows that aren't on my list that are like all time favorite shows. But, you know, I can't just pick one season all the time of those because I'm just like, they're all good. They're all consistently good. This one stands out because season one is just so far superior to any of the other seasons on that show. So that's yeah, that, I think that because of that, you know, difference of quality, that's why it stands out more, maybe. But because you just see the potential of how amazing the show could be the whole way through. And I want to say it was really great up until about season four. <laughs> and I think there were six seasons of it. It kind of started losing its way a little bit, got a little better in season five. And then season six just really sort of crashed and burned. Like it just, yeah, there were some issues there. Um, that's when you really started to feel like they were just like, you know what, let's just wrap this up. We're just going <laughs> to we're just going to finish this off somehow. So let's just find a quick way to do it. But I also think that somewhere around there was when that writer strike happened. Remember that? So that could have also been part of it. <laughs> but either way, the first season is just so like you just feel like this is what television should be. And yeah, that's that's why it's on my list. Yeah. And just to kind of quickly comment on it, I'm kind of in Sterling's camp, too. I haven't seen Lost, um, but it was one of those shows that. I would hear about it constantly and people would tell me, oh, you need to watch that. You need to watch that. You need to watch that. And I want to say, I can't remember if this is one of those shows where it, it may have ended disappointing. Like, I yes. guess, like when you get all the way to the end, yeah, it ended uh, kind of disappointing. So then some of those same people that used to tell me, watch it, watch it, watch it. I guess they got to the end and then they were like, eh, I don't know if you want to invest. and." Because when you get to the end, you won't like it. So then it sort of became that kind of thing. So I never got around to watching it, but I totally get where you're coming from as far as the idea that, you know, it, it, in a bubble, just that one season, the concept of it, it was introduced and you thought the concept was neat and the way that they developed the characters and then the way the cliffhanger, the hanger ends and um, everything yeah. was great. Yeah, I definitely got a couple of shows like that where I felt the exact same way. 24 season one is one that kind of comes to mind where I have. That was so close to being on my list, by the way. Yeah. Mine too. Mine too. And it was for the exact reasons that you named. Yep. The concept was new and it was neat. And the way it was filmed was so different. And then the way season one of 24 ends with what <laughs> I just won't say how, but with what happens to Jack Bauer, that is like, all I have to say is, before yeah. there was a red wedding, before there was any of these like dramatic, <laughs> oh my God, moments in in shows and stuff and, and other shows, I guess, have had deaths and stuff. But talk about a shocking yeah. death. I don't know how that is not one, that one of takes the it. top yep. ones. Yeah. 
So like, yeah, 24 season one, I I have similar feelings to what you have for this lost season. I get it. I get it. Oh, yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, because like if they had kept the momentum that they did from season one of Lost or even of 24 and even, you know, like I said, two and three are great, too. If they kept the momentum and the just the way that they wrote the characters and developed the story and unfolded the story that they did from those seasons, it would have been such a great payoff and could have gone down as like one of the best shows ever in history. Some people think it is, but it would have been consistently that way. And I do also think it's funny that like on our list, there's at least one person that hasn't seen something on our list that we're doing. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah. But which is fine because there's so much TV and there's so many opinions on what is like best television ever. So um, I think it's kind of cool. But yeah, it's just and also as you kind of spoke to like the ending and and that is part of a reason it's disappointing. But it's one of those things where what they were trying to develop throughout the entire show and what it, you know, accumulated to being in the end. It's almost like it's disappointing. But at the same time, you're like. With what you were trying to do, I don't really know of another way you really could have ended it that would have been better. So it's a real like, and and so it just kind of loses its like, you stop caring at that point. Because you're like, you want to be like, what the heck is this ending? And then you want to be like, okay, I'm glad I finally know what's going on. But you're somewhere in the middle because you're just like, it's not great, but I don't know how we really could have made the ending different or better than what it was. So it's a real weird place, which is why it just goes downhill in that last season, because you shouldn't have a very like nonchalant, you know, unconcerned, complete ending to your show. And that's pretty much what it did for the entire world. I mean, no, I get it. Because like I was saying with Twin Peaks, you, you've got a murder mystery as your first eight episodes. And then episode nine, within like 15 minutes, you get interdimensional beings. And you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's just one of those things that's like it yeah, sometimes like they might have had like an original plan and they were held back originally. And so that's why it might not connect. It could be like the ending of Lost might have been what was always planned. And they always wanted to show more of the stuff that would lead to that. But maybe the studio or whoever was holding them back until they yeah. got big enough to where they could be like, nah. You need you need us more right now. We're going to do what we want. And then, you know, yep. then it just goes. It feels like it goes a different direction, even though that was always the intended direction. I wonder how much of that happens yeah. on a show, because I feel like that's what happened with Twin Peaks. Like David Fincher, mm. like it's he had an idea. They held him back in that first season and they were like, oh, we got pretty good ratings. So they were like, do what you want, because you know what you're doing. And then he went bonkers. And then somehow because of Netflix or whatever. Twin Peaks had a surge again and they were like, you know what? It's 20 years later or 22 years later. We're going to do it again because there was a line in the last episode that said, I'll see you in 22 years. And so it's like this weird homage and it's oh. great and it works. And then he went even more off the fucking rails. Like it's just unfathomably a mess. <laughs> and so like, I, I do feel like that that might be the same with lost is that, they had they were always going to end it that way or that was the plan just they were held back until they were big enough to not be and then by that point it just didn't make as much sense i also didn't realize that david fincher did twin peaks i don't know why i didn't oh, know that, that. Might, what's his name it might be david fincher i might be 
there's these two guys and I always confuse their names. And uh, you might be right. The same guy that did Mulholland Drive. Oh, um, hmm. hold on. I'm looking it up. I am probably wrong. It's probably not David Fincher. David Fincher's the good one. David Lynch. I'm so sorry, David Fincher. David Fincher's good. <laughs> David Lynch is a fucking psychopath. Well, because I was going to say David Fincher does one of my favorite shows, which is Mindhunter. And so I was like, oh, yes. Okay. yes. And he did seven. Okay. He's he's an he's a good director. I messed up. OK, I got gotcha. you. David Fincher's good. He tells very <laughs> good stories. You might even think that the season one of this is directed by David Fincher because it's a very competent mm. murder mystery. No, it's David Lynch, the guy that's utterly insane. Like he said, he did Mulholland Drive. If anybody hadn't seen that, that's a fucking weird ass fucking movie. But yes, David Lynch. He scares me. David Lynch truly scares me. <laughs> if I was ever in a room with him, I'd be scared of so many different things happening to me. <laughs> that's saying a lot. Because we just talked about serial killers and you didn't have that reaction. Yeah. Oh, I'm infinitely more scared of David Lynch than I am 99% of all serial killers. You could put me in a room with Ted Bundy. I'd feel okay. Put me in a room with David Lynch. Scared shitless. Um, you guys want to go to number threes? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. Number three. What did I have as number three? I'll go. I'll start this one. Let's start it off. I'm going with the FX show Atlanta season two. Robin season. Uh, if, okay. If you haven't watched Atlanta, you done fucked up. It's a great show. Love it. But season two, I think, takes us to a place that's even better. I think the jokes are better. I think the plot lines are better. I think the themes are better. And it's got some of the just greatest single episodes of television out there. I mean, it starts off. The season starts off with two guys going to what appears to actually be a Popeye's. But I think it's not. It might be a, it might be a Zaxby's because that's a thing over there in Georgia or whatever. And they straight up like order food in the drive through and it's like code for drugs. So they're going to get drugs in their meals. But when they pull up to the drive through window, they've got masks on and pull guns and start shooting into the window and jump through the window and they go find the drugs. And then when they're leaving, one of the employees who is the one that has the drugs there gets like a machine gun and starts shooting at them and shit like that. <laughs> That's how the season starts. Damn. It's great. I mean, there's a motherfucker with like, it, it's, it's Cat Williams. Cat Williams' character in the first episode also has a full-on alligator in his house. And it's great. Because he's known as the Alligator Man. But I mean, I mean, this show, if anybody doesn't know, it's written and created by Donald Glover and his brother. And it's got some of the best new actors uh, out there. Like when you get into something like, uh, um, what was I saying? Uh, like Donald Glover. I mean, this was him. This is one of the reasons why he left community. He wanted to like go off and start doing these types of things and creating his own stuff. And whenever you get into that and you've got, this is where I first found out about Lakeith Stanfield uh, is he's in this. Your boy. Exactly. My boy, Lakeith Stanfield. And Keith. and also Zazie Beats. Uh, a lot of people know her as Domino from Deadpool 2. She was also the, I guess you could say, love interest of the Arthur Fleck character from The Joker. She's in this. Um, and another actor that I think doesn't get talked about enough. We did talk about him a little bit in the Chucky remake. 
And we would probably have talked more about him if COVID hadn't happened because he's in Marvel's Eternals. And that's Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Uh, so you've got him. And like I said, you've got him, like he's Stanfield and Donald Glover and Zazie Beats. And those are the four main characters in this show. And like, if you haven't seen anything with those people in it, you would know that like, that's an acting powerhouse as your four main characters. And to give you like a loose basis of what the show is, is um, Brian Terry Henry's character is Paperboy and he's uh, like a rapper and uh, Donald and, and Lakeith Stanfield plays his friend Darius and uh, his cousin is Ern or it's, it's actually Ernest, but it's Ern and that's Donald Glover's character. And he's in Donald Glover's characters trying to be his cousin's uh, manager and stuff and, you know, try to help him get big because the bigger he gets, the more money he makes. And then he could provide for his family because his ex-girlfriend or is, is the Zazie Beats character and they have a daughter together. So it just works out really well. Like it's, so it's, it's got a good dynamic to start with and it's just fucking great. And I mean, it's like I said, it's got some of the best episodes of television out there. They have an episode in the season called Teddy Perkins. And I don't want to spoil this episode, but it is a must watch. You can watch it's this insane. episode by itself. Never watch the show. Just know that Darius, which is like Keith Stanfield's character, is kind of like a like a philosophical guy. He loves smoking his weed and getting hella ph ph philosophical and doing some hustles here and there. It's all you really got to know is the setup. And you can watch this episode because it's about him going and buying a piano from a man named Teddy Perkins. And it is bonkers. But at the same time, fucking perfect. I mean, they have an entire episode of this show dedicated to Paperboy trying to get his hair cut. And his barber is literally just dragging him all over town. <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal. Now, a lot of this stuff. Like, and the thing is, and the sad thing is, is that I might not even appreciate it to the degree in which it's meant to be appreciated because a lot of the themes and, and topics in the show have to do with race and have to do with being uh, African-American or black in this country. And the ideas of what some black people or feel as a, as a culture and individuals as to what they have to do to find their place in this country. Even so far as Zazie Beetz character is half German. And which, if I'm remembering correctly, is also true to Zazie Beetz. She is also half German. Like can speak German fluently. And they have an episode dedicated to that. And where they go to like a German festival. And she's kind of walking around in her element speaking German. And Donald Glover's character as Ernst is kind of out of place. But even then, Zazie Beetz's character is out of place within her own family when it comes to some of these things. And like her sister and stuff like that. They kind of led two different lives growing up, even though they were both mixed race. And just the different dynamics that that can present. And I think one of the best ways that shows that how effective it is at telling these stories is there are times, due to some of the racial themes and stuff like that, you'll get uncomfortable and you get uncomfortable because it's true. You've probably seen something like that in your life. Even if you are somebody like me, who is a white person, you've had friends or you've seen instances where 
some of the uh, racial misgivings in our country have affected them and heard their stories and seen their pain. And you see it again in the show. And it's just really powerful in that way that it doesn't hold back. It doesn't try to like give you a sanitized, make you feel better about it version of it. It wants you to feel uncomfortable. It wants you to feel uneasy. It wants you to see the like unfiltered pain of what's going on sometimes. And with that, it, it is a truly powerful show. I mean, there are times it really is like a, a TV show version of the Childish Gambino uh, Made in America, you know, where, yes, there is some jokes in the music video. There are some jokes. There are some comedic lines. There are some comedic visuals, but it's also done in a way to make the serious elements and the serious visuals much more impactful. Yep. It picks its places so well. And I think that we don't have enough shows like this. And I'm super stoked because apparently season three and four are actually going to come out soon. It's actually been a few years since season two came out. And it's just because I was going to ask if they were doing more. Yeah, Donald Glover wanted to focus on some other things, but it's such a hit show for FX. They're like, look, if you want to take a couple of years, go do some shit and come back. We're totally cool with it. Just come back and make <laughs> it. And you got to respect them for doing that because a lot of studios wouldn't do that. They'd be like, no, crank out shit, even if it's of a lesser quality. No, they want to give Donald Glover time to do it and do it right. And I love it. And it's like 11 episodes, which once again goes on to my thing, which I'm not going to lie. Every season of shows on my list is about that long because <laughs> I think it's the perfect number of shows. But yes, uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about it. It's funny, too, though, because the two specific episodes that you mentioned uh, about Paperboy getting haircut and then the Teddy Perkins one, those are the two episodes of that show that I have seen. <laughs> and you're right, because they're almost like just short films in their own right. You know what I mean? It's just like they can be individual stories and you can sort of follow what's happening, even if you don't watch the rest of the show. And yeah, it's it's. It's definitely a bonkers episode, but it's interesting and it's very good. Man, I have not seen that show, but man, hearing all of that makes me wonder why I haven't seen it and just makes me go, man, I need to watch that show. And it's a show that other people have told me about, too. Like, what? And people are always surprised when I say I haven't seen that. And they're like, what? You? You haven't seen Atlanta? Like, like. I have the like I match the the personality of a person who <laughs> just should have already seen the show. So I think I'm doing my existence a disservice. So I guess I have to watch it. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to lie. It makes me curious as to what why people are saying like or surprised you haven't seen it. If they're coming at you solely on the like powerhouse acting and storytelling and, you know, great narrative form for a television show. Yes. I completely agree with them. Yeah. It's surprising. You haven't seen it, especially because the first two seasons I think comes out to 22 episodes and they're half an hour each. So you could watch two seasons of Atlanta in the same amount of time. You could watch one season of the office, huh. but okay. I also do feel like you might have like a weird white friend that might've said the same thing. And they're just surprised you haven't <laughs> watched it. Cause it's because you're black. Because <laughs> oh boy, maybe maybe there's some of that, but I like to think that oh it I do was too the, the, I do too the, the personality thing <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna say it was that one we're gonna hope it was that one because I mean it, well, it, it truly is a, like an amazing show like 
I suggest everybody watch it. I do. And like I even said, I honestly feel like if you watch it, there are some of the themes and topics and stuff like that that will hit more home with you than with me. You know, like the impactfulness might be more present or there might be jokes in there that I might not understand because that wasn't in the, the type of lifestyle or the culture I grew up in, you know? So I, some of those things might pass by. So you might actually even get more out of the show than me. And I love that. So Jason's homework is to go watch Atlanta and mine is to go watch The Office. Yes. You guys need to switch. <laughs> Jason yes. watch yes. Atlanta. Heather watch The Office. And everyone will be better off for it. And I'll say this. I I'm, don't disagree. I'm not watching Lost. <laughs> I, I'm not asking anyone to make that commitment. I'm just telling you now I'm not going to watch it. So I'm just throwing that out there. But I mean, it's one of those things, though, that like, like with this, I think that that's one of the things that like really works with the show is that it does have long form story arcs to it. There are elements that are present in almost every episode, but every episode is fairly self-contained about the specific things they want to talk about in that episode. So it's one of those weird things where essentially every episode is like a filler episode, but they do such a good job of connecting everything thematically that it also feels long form. It really is a truly amazing show. All right, let's go on to the next one. Um, Heather went last last time. So Heather, now, what is your second number three? Or not your second number three. What is your number three? <laughs> so my number three, and this is, man, it was so hard to like rank these, but I'm going with my number three is Stranger Things season three. And I know that most people are like, you know, season one is the best ever. And it's fantastic. I love both seasons equally. Season two is fine, but it's definitely not the best. But season three, I'm picking that one for a couple of reasons. One of them being, I really like the dynamic between the boys when they're all together. Like Will, for the first season, you know, he's kidnapped and he's like removed from the boys. And they're finding him. And then the second season, he's there, but he's not because he's like, you know, possessed by this alien that's inside of him or whatever it is. Um, so season three is really just the dynamic of all the kids together. And I just it works so well because you really just feel like they are a group of best friends. And I just think that you get a lot more of that vibe when Will is in the picture more and the kid who plays Will, Noah Schnapp, I think is his name. He is a fantastic actor. He is great. And you see it a lot with just even his facial expressions and like when he's, you know, just how easily he can change like what he's supposed to be feeling in the moment. He's so, so good. And I just feel like we needed more of him in the mix. And I think that we got a little bit more of that in season three. So that's definitely part of it. Also, um, the character of Steve is so much better in season three. <laughs> like you get you get more of like the Steve that everyone loves in season two. And that's great. But season three, it's just, you know, his character arc and his growth throughout the show is so great. And he just becomes one of your favorites because he just changes and he's like a a cool guy, you know, and he's, you know, he's he's just a more genuine person and he's nice. And then, you know, he's working at the mall or whatever with the girl his co-worker uh played by maya hawk and she's great their chemistry together is so great 
And I just think that a lot of the character dynamics are so, so good in season three. Most specifically, what I love about season three is Billy's character arc. Um, Billy is the mullet (laughs) crazy brother of what's her name? Maxine. Yeah. And he is just a terrible villainous character (laughs) in the second season. But in season three, you just get to really see more of who he is as a character and just, you know, him coming full circle and being this hero, basically, to everybody at the end of it. And it was so well done and beautiful because he's just the last person you really expect to be that hero for these kids. And his connection that he has with Eleven is, it's really special. There's just something about the two of them when they had their scenes together and, you know, she's able to kind of see into his world. And it was just a really special thing to see that. And Millie Bobby Brown is a phenomenal actress. And I also just like her her dynamic with Hopper, um, David Harbour. They just I just feel like everybody has such a great connection in this show. And the characters play off of each other so well, no matter what character it is. And I just think that it's just more developed in season three, probably because they've been working together longer, but the, the characters are more developed three seasons in. And you just see the growth and just everything with them. And it just really, it, it's just such a great season. And it's, and I just love how very on point it is with it's the 80s and the fashion and what's going on and what's like popular at that time. They're always so good about how they do that. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, like the whole show is phenomenal. But season three for me, for whatever reason, that is by far my favorite season. Thoughts, Justin? Oh, I, thought, I was <laughs> waiting on you. Uh, I thought you were going to kid it up before me. Um, yeah, um, I really enjoyed season three of Stranger Things. Um, I guess I would fall in that camp of just maybe people who think that number one is the best. And I don't know, maybe some of that is just the fact that it was the first. So everything was a surprise and everything just kind of, you know, the the, the mystery of you trying to figure out. Yeah, it's all new. And the mystery of you trying to figure out what's going on and just kind of meeting and falling in love with the characters for the first time and the twists and turns and everything like that. So I don't know. There was just, maybe it's just the, and now I guess being so far removed from that, I guess it's almost like the nostalgia of how you felt when you first watched this. And it was a complete surprise. So season one will always have the element of surprise, but I do think that this, that, that one thing I can say about season three is that you could say maybe it was a return back to some of the things that made season one so great. And I think that's why this one holds a special place in a lot of people's heart, because a lot of the things that happened in season two, while I liked it. Um, And I think most people liked it, but they didn't love it because there were things that kind of happened that, um, you know, characters going off to a different location completely and having their own adventure. And, you know, there were some things I think that happened in season two where people were kind of like, man, this is kind of not 
this is feeling a little different from what season one was. And I did feel like season three just kind of came back with that. It was really heavy on the 80s charm. It was kind of a little more, it was a little kookier and not as, it was serious when it needed to be, but not as serious as season two. I do think the tone of this was a little lighter. And then some of the uh, characters, like you said, like Billy and that character arc, that was a great arc for that character. Um, And then just some of the encounters with um, the, and then the whole underground kind of a Nazi thing that was going on under the mall and all of that stuff. You know, there were a lot of just fun plot points in season three that I think people enjoyed. And it ended with a nice, um, and it ended with a nice cliffhanger. So, uh, and you're just wondering kind of where the series is going to go from here. So yeah, I'm excited for season four. And I mean, I do feel that season three did its job. It's, I mean, honestly, I'm sure every other person you ask might have a different favorite season of this show. I mean, because that's just, I think, how high quality this show is. This is one where you're going to ask different people. They're going to have different answers. But no, I don't hate on that, on on your pick at all. Season three is great. One and three are easily interchangeable because they're there's so much good stuff in both seasons. But just the, you know, just that little bit of like the dynamics between the kids, I think, was just a little bit more my my flavor of what I liked in, you know, in that kind of thing in the third season. So um, that's the only really thing that gives it that much more of an edge. But yeah, it's super interchangeable. One and three are very interchangeable as the best season of that show for me anyway. I do actually think I agree with Heather, though, on season three being the best for me, uh, because you get I like the character dynamics we get in three better than we did in one. I like I love the one good thing in season two was the development of the Steve and Dustin relationship. Yeah, that's the that was great. Only good thing really in that season, and to see it grow in 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 season three, like already be established and then grow in season three, I think is phenomenal. Plus, I like the character Steve better as a good guy than I do a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think with the way the actor portrays it, I think it just it's a better portrayal of that character. Yeah, for as, sure. As the good guy, so I like that better. I love and I love him. And 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 what's her name? Maya Hawk's character. I love their dynamic. Yep. In this season. I think all the dynamics just work better in season three when it comes to inter-character dynamics. Thank you. See, and you get it. I do think that they kind of go back to the 80s cheese, like Justin said. Like hardcore into it. Hardcore. Like Dustin and his girlfriend singing a song while a fucking gigantic ass Demi Gordon is chasing them ridiculous ass shit and it somehow works because they're singing the never ending story song (laughs) yeah something about it just was very charming yeah I think I think season two I think season two was that litmus test of how weird 80 shit could they get you know when you get the whole 11 finding one of her sisters or whatever and you know, doing the whole like 80s grungy punk thing, you know, 
yeah and going that route like they just kind of wanted to see how far they could push to the other extremes of the 80s and people still be on board and people weren't just nobody was on board with those versions of the 80s nope you want your bright colored technicolor nerdy bullshit 80s is what everybody wanted <laughs> exactly and so they go back to it you know plus you get the mall in this one and what is more 80s than a fucking shopping mall right so yeah i just i i i think it takes all the good things from season one and it expounds upon them and it elevates them and continues those and grows those and I think that that's why it edges out season one is it's got all the things, you know, and love from season one and it just does it better. And I like that. Yeah. And I really just love that in season three, Eleven is just growing into like who she is and like trying, you know, able to fit in more as just like a normal kid. And I liked seeing like her just like how excited she would get about like, oh, I'm going shopping. We're having like a girl's day. Just stuff like that where you just feel like she's being a normal 80s kid. And I just really liked that. That was very endearing. And I thought that she did it really well. So I, I just kind of liked that for Eleven, that she was just kind of becoming more one of them, you know? Yeah. And I like how I do like how both seasons, though, end on that main pivotal beloved character gone. I think that's a nice Exactly. Touch. That's true. So, I mean, that's like a tomato tomato thing, I guess. Except I don't actually know anybody that says tomato. I know that's supposedly a <laughs> saying. I don't know that anybody actually says that. Um, are we on to our... our, our th no, Justin still has to do his. Justin, mm -hmm. do your yeah. number three. Okay, so my number three. And of course, um, I had to go with uh, Game of Thrones season four. I mean, I'm sure you guys didn't think that we would go this entire time and not talk about Game of Thrones. So, um, yes, we're going to be talking about TV. If we're talking about TV, you ought to be at some point mentioning Game of Thrones because in the past, alert, what? It's not the last I time we'll be talking about Game of Thrones either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we should put that spoiler up. No, I'm yeah, just saying if you somehow I'll be talking about it, too. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You had one on your list, too. Cool. So, but yeah, this is probably, I mean, it definitely, if, if if it's not one of the best shows of the past decade, it was definitely one of the more popular ones. It was the one that this was one of the ones that everybody was watching. You know, this is something that a lot of people saw, kind of like Stranger Things that we just got through talking about. You know, this is one of those that just... Uh, almost, I'm pretty sure almost every other person on earth saw it. So to try to break down what are the best seasons of Game of Thrones, I mean, man, there are a lot of great uh, seasons of Game of Thrones. But tonight I rested on uh, Game of Thrones uh, season four and and mainly for, for this reason. Like I said earlier, I tried to, when I really tried to compare every season of a show um to each other i tried to pick the 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 seasons where i thought it had the most like memorable collective fun moments within a season so i tried to pick something where you know what are scenes that i that i remember fondly 
from this season? What are uh, are there scenes that I go back and watch consistently? It, uh, does the season have kind of a, a more of a rewatchability than maybe other seasons and things like that? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about I, I narrowed this down to like season three, season four and season six, which I love season six of Game of Thrones, too. And but I just kept coming back to four. And I really think that some of the things that they did in season four, um, they do a cup. They made a couple of bold moves. Um, there are some things that happen with each of the characters. And I just feel like overall, it has some of not only some of the most important moments in the series, but I think it has some of the most memorable moments in the series. Uh, just to kind of name a few of the things that of note that, that I think really just makes this the champion season. First of all, some of the characters that we get introduced to and get to see uh, good old Pedro Pascal, who plays uh, Oberyn Tyrell in this season. What a great character. Like, I mean, I just really think and especially going back and watching this, because when I made my decision that it was going to be for, I had to rewatch some episodes like, man, let me make sure um, I'm not crazy here. And going back and watching some of these episodes with Oberyn Tyrell, I just really thought that that was a great character. And he was a such a great, like, change of pace character for this show, because up until then, you know, we had kind of gotten used to all the characters that we were been introduced to in Littlefinger and Sansa. I mean, everybody, you know, we had uh, from the first three seasons, we had already kind of gotten a feel for all of these other characters. But then here comes uh, this guy. And I just liked his dynamic with everyone in King's Landing, just some of his interactions how he felt about his life. You know, he was this uh, rich aristocrat, but he had this philosophy of kind of living life to the fullest. It wasn't about greed for him or having more power or anything like that. You know, he kind of had this philosophy, like all of that is meaningless. If you never get outside the castle walls, what there's all this world out here. And if you, if it goes unexplored, then what really was your life? If you're not indulging in all of the pleasures of the flesh, whether it be men, women, or whatever it is you want to partake in, then are you truly living a fulfilled life? So he just had this kind of very free, free spirit that, that I just think that philosophy and, and then of course, Pedro Pascal is a good looking guy. So he just, brought a charisma to this and he brought a uh, just um a, a very good dynamic with all of the other characters in King's Landing but that's not only thing he's also a character that's consumed by revenge and he's there for a reason and he just brings he brings a lot of great moments in this season whether he's sitting down having a discussion with Tywin Lannister or he's um or he's uh, going head to head with one of the uh, biggest, most intimidating uh, soldiers or uh, fighters in this, the mountain, you know, so whatever he was doing, I just think he had a lot of great 
um, a lot of great moments in this season. And as far as like characters who kind of can dip in and dip out of a show, you know, sometimes you bring a character in and they add a bad dynamic to the show. You're kind of like, oh, this character doesn't fit or I don't really like this person or, but he was none of those things. I just thought that he was wonderful uh, throughout season four. Another cool thing about season four is that they have a dramatic death that kind of changes the landscape of the show right really towards the beginning of the season. Like normally what Game of Thrones had done up until that point is they like to have kind of like your crazy deaths or these horrible consequences sort of happen at the end of a season. You know, that's what we got at the end of season three with the Red Wedding. You know, when you look back at other seasons, they had a way of having something kind of crazy or catastrophic or almost life altering for certain characters happen. And that normally happens at the end of the season. But in season four, episode two, the lion and the rose, which I will probably argue is one of the best episodes in game of thrones. I really think the episode is that good. Just going back and watching it, Everything that happens in this episode, but really what takes the cake is that uh, is that Marjorie Joffrey wedding and ceremony that happens at the end of the episode. And it's really unique because it's one of the few episodes where you got all of those characters together interacting all in one scene. So, you know, you get King Joffrey, you've got Sansa Stark, you've got the 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 Lannisters, you got Tyron, you got Cersei, you got Jaime, uh Tyrion, they're all there. You've got um you, you know, uh Lady Tyrell, you've got um Oberyn, what I talked about, like you've got all of these characters kind of interacting in this one scene. So that just to me made it stand out too. It's just that we got to see all of these actors and actresses kind of playing off of each other. So I thought that that was neat because that particular part of the cast, you don't really get a lot of that throughout the series. Um, but the way that that plays out and how it builds the tension between Joffrey and Tyrion and the bullying that's going on and Marjorie constantly trying to like bring Joffrey back to the table and tell him, look, you know, uh, you know, please just don't be a horrible person for just a few seconds. Hey, honey, look at this cake. Hey, look, they brought the cake out. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? And just trying to pull him away from bullying Tyrion and then that doesn't work and then there comes that pivotal moment where he's has Tyrion fetch him a cup and he's like I want you to bow right now and like the tension I mean you, it was thick like you could just cut it with a knife and then all of a sudden his, his attention's taken away and so then so there's like this roller coaster ride in that one scene and then just when you think, okay, maybe nothing's going to happen to Tyrion, all of a sudden, Joffrey begins to die. The poison begins to take effect. And that scene where he's poisoned, that really is one of the more memorable scenes, memorable deaths in Game of Thrones. And, um, uh, and and Cersei in that scene was great too. Just the acting that she was doing, 
um, at, at Joffrey holding on for dear life and then kind of pointing towards Tyrion like he's the one who did this to me. Like that was really like a great scene. And it's and it's really cool because that happens in episode two. And so then what happens in uh, the rest of season four is a lot of the after effects of that. And we get just some great stuff that happens throughout season four because of that kind of crazy death that happens in episode two, because that leads to Tyrion's trial and Peter Dinklage, um, who plays the Tyrion character, man, he has a great moment in, um, I want to say it's episode six is where he has that moment where he stands before uh, Tywin and he kind of faces his father and he makes that great speech at the end of that episode. And I mean, that to me, that was like one of the crowning moments for that Tyrion character. I fell in love with that character. Yeah, really, I already liked him, but I fell in love with the character after that scene. So that just kind of sticks out in my mind. Like that was a scene that really just like I I would go back to constantly on YouTube and I would watch that scene. Uh, Joffrey's death. That was something that I would go back and I would revisit that. You know, there are just a lot of moments in season four that I just remember fondly or I remember kind of uh, going back and looking at. Uh, when when you look at some of the story that was going on with uh, Stannis Baratheon and uh, Sir Davos and and his daughter and everything like that, and the daughter teaching him how to read and stuff, you know, there are just a lot of genuine, just like good moments with characters in uh, season four. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the episode eight, the Mountain and the Viper. Where you finally, where, um, you know, Tyrion uh, chooses to get a trial by combat. So you wind up getting uh, Oberyn Tyrell versus the Mountain. And that fight, oh my not only, man, not only is that one of the greatest fights in Game of Thrones. I, I think if you made a list of top fights in Game of Thrones, I don't know how the Viper in the Mountain is not on your list. If it's not, you're just crazy. Uh, and then not only was that fight memorable, the choreography was great with this, with, with Oberyn kind of using almost a, a capoeira style fighting, the way he was moving around and jumping and flipping around. And he was so fast and the mountain was so slow. So it really was this story of speed versus power. And he was fighting with so much determination to avenge his sister who had been killed. And just and then in typical Game of Thrones fashion, just when you think one character is going to triumph, uh, that doesn't happen. And the I guess you could say the skull crushing finale that kind of <laughs> ensues at the end of that episode was just shocking. And I feel like it was like one of those where you were just like, oh, my God, that shit really just happened here. And I got two of those in this season. You know, normally Game of Thrones will give you one of those a season, but you get two here. You get the Joffrey and then you get this. And then if that wasn't enough, we get to the end of it. And then you kind of have this showdown with Tyrion 
and he faces Tywin one more time. And of course, what happens there with everything with Tyrion and, uh, you know, his escape from King's Landing and everything like that, it just made for, and I'm only just discussing the mainly the King's Landing stuff, but there was all kinds of stuff happening with uh, Stannis Baratheon that was great. Ramsey Bolton, you get to see just how ruthless well, you get to see that all, I guess, all through the seasons Ramsey's in, but particularly his control of Theon Greyjoy and him actually really bringing Reek into the fold and how he used him, how he abused him, the psychological hold he kind of had on Theon Greyjoy. A lot of that really comes to light uh, in this episode. And then, of course, how could you forget Jon Snow and his confrontation with the wildlings and protecting the wall and then everything like that. So, like, there are just so many great things that happened in season four um, that I think it is the sum of those collective parts that make it the crowning achievement of Game of Thrones. Now, I hate to do this. Because I think my Game of Thrones season is better than yours. But you're also leaving (laughs) out what might actually, I think, the only fight in Game of Thrones, I think, that rivals the Mountain and the Viper. And that's in the last episode when you get Brienne versus the Hound. Oh, Oh, yes. How could I can't believe I didn't mention that. But yes, that fight, too, is in season four. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite fights as well. Yeah. I think those two fights are the best individual combat fights in Game of Thrones, and Mm. they happen both in this season. And up until, you know, you get the Battle of the Bastards in season six, I think that this season has the best big battle of Game of Thrones outside of Battle of the Bastards, which is the battle for uh, Battle of the Wall. Yeah. And I think that's such a good, phenomenal battle scene. And like I said, I think it's only beat by Battle of the Bastards. When you get into full army combat, yeah, the Battle for the Wall is a fucking great battle. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, season six, Battle of the Bastards, like that's a that's the main reason why season six is my favorite. That is actually also very close to making my list. Season six of Game of Thrones. I mean, and it's also when. Sansa and Arya become badasses in their own right, but <laughs> it's it's that battle is like really what sells it for me. So, yeah, I must pick six for that reason as well. Yeah, and that's the thing is season six does have some weakness to it, but you can't undersell how amazing the Battle of the Bastards is. Yeah, for sure. It is just beyond epically huge. And I'm not even talking about technically the numbers and everything. I'm just talking just the way they shot it. The quality of that is just hands down one of the greatest battle scenes you'll ever watch in anything. And the thing I love about Battle of the Bastards, and I know we're talking about season four, but I don't give a shit. I love that it's during the day. I Mm -hmm. love that Battle of the Bastards is during the day because it just adds that little element of viciousness because it's that much more unfiltered in the daylight. Like, if I was to have any qualms about the battle for the wall, it's just, it's at night, like every other battle they do. <laughs> like, it's just, it's at night. But 
the scale and just showing everything with the wall itself and the 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 giants and the wildlings coming from the south and you just everything they pack into that episode though with the battle for the wall because they're able to do that whole battle scene but then also conclude a love story arc in the battle at the yeah. same time that's true and it's yep it's so well done because the conclusion of that love story arc you would think in most shows in most shows that are not done as well that aspect would take away from the battle but this does it without skipping a beat both of them get the reverence and the importance that they deserve without subtracting from the other whatsoever like the battle does not lose any of its greatness because of the love story element in it and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's why I think that this one just holds a special place in my heart. And that's why I just think, you know, this, this was about pound for pound for me. Like I was just like, okay, which one just has the best moments in it, you know? So I didn't want to make my decision based on a moment. I needed the season that really just brought several great ones. And that's why I just feel like, you know, season four just has the best collection of moments like that. You know, it's got the fights. It's got some of the best fights. It's got one of the best wars. It's got some great dialogue and lines with characters. It's got some of the most important character deaths. You know, all of that is in season number four. Uh, Took a bold step in uh, killing somebody fairly early when the season starts, you know? Uh, So I I just think it just, they just really outdid themselves with the storytelling in season four. Yeah, and I've also just never been more satisfied, like, seeing a villain die <laughs> than when Joffrey dies, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are we ready to get into our number twos now? Yes. Yeah. I was going to let Heather go first, because she hasn't gone first yet, but unfortunately, Heather, I'm going to wait, just because my, my number two is a little bit more fitting right now. Yeah. Because my number two is Game of Thrones season three. So we might as well just keep on talking about Game of Thrones. (laughs) And if you want more, listen to our full three-hour episode on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, I say this, and I will will give Jastin this, that season three and season four, to me, are very close. Like, if I wasn't putting season three on my list, I'd be putting season four, you know? But I think the impact on the show is just a little bit more impactful, if you will, in season three. I mean, I'm going to jump a little bit, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is the season with the Red Wedding. Yes, it is towards the end of the season, but it's the fucking Red Wedding. Oh, man. I mean, there has not been. I think that, that that episode is what created the TV show Blind React video. Is this, I mean, maybe you could get away with it in the first season when uh, Sean Bean's character dies. Why can I not remember his name? Ned. Yes, Ned Stark. Sorry. I don't know why I blanked on that. Maybe that. But if you're really going to do it, what did it for everybody? It's the Red Wedding. Like it completely took the tone of the show, which was already kind of the whole 
no character safe. And they went, no, seriously, no fucking character is safe in this Ooh. fucking show. Yeah, for sure. And so far as to go, they're not so safe that we're going to kill 9,000 of them all at once. Like so many of these main characters that you like legitimately main characters. And we're going, nope, they's all dead at once. And they didn't stand a chance. And to me, it also showed how far fucking Tywin would go. Like mm. all the things that like were set up in this that showed that were also then paid off in season four with how far Tywin would go, you know, with what the, the trial of Tyrion and all this other stuff, those grounding, those blocks were set up in this. You also had, uh, one of my favorite things in this was the, you had the, the, the episode, the maiden and the bear where you have Brienne fighting a fucking bear and Jamie Lannister coming back to save it. This is the season Jamie Lannister loses a fucking hand, you know, which puts his yeah. entire character arc in like a tumble. Like he was one of the greatest fighters in all the seven kingdoms. And now he's useless. And that's how he feels, you know, and it's one of those things that he constantly battles the rest of the show. You know, you had the very beginnings of the uh, the Hound and Arya. Their story starts in this season. And this is where you finally actually really see some White Walker shit whenever Sam fucking kills a White Walker. That's in this season. Mm. You've got the climbing of the wall. What really shows for the first time the truly epic nature of the wall. You get that in this season. You get the humanization of the wildings. One of the things that is a trademark quality in John Stark's beliefs that spoiler alert gets him killed later. <laughs> that starts in this season. And also to in, like to top it all off, the end of this, when you have Danny trying to get her unsullied army and she's going to trade a dragon for one and everybody's like, no, don't do it. And she's like, I've got to. And then she like gives it to the slave trader and he's like, Man, this fucking dragon doesn't listen to me. Tell this bitch I'm mad at her. And she's like, fuck you. I speak Valerian. And oh, yeah, by the way, you know, Dracarys. And everybody gets burnt to fucking death. You know, mm -hmm. this is the season, if I'm remembering correctly, that starts the dragon setting on fire, like string noise. You know, when dragons start to burn shit and it goes, <laughs> like for the orchestral music. This is the season that starts that, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, which to me is one of my favorite things in all of Game of Thrones is just hearing that noise. It might have been season two whenever she was in the, the Tower of the Mystics or whatever. But for my memory, it's this scene whenever she says that and he starts burning fucking everybody alive. So not only does she get the army of the Unsullied that she sets free and they decide to follow her because, you know of the fact that she set them free. She still keeps all her dragons. So whenever she looks like she's going to strengthen herself, but also weaken herself at the same time, nah, she just comes out ahead completely. And also just shows how far she's willing to go to get to the end she thinks she deserves. And I think that really sets up a lot of the long-term consequences that we see later in Game of Thrones. I think this is one of those turning points that truly starts to show it. You kind of get a little bit mm -hmm. of it in season two when she locks 
that guy and one of her maids away in that vault of emptiness forever to die. Yeah, that's a little bit cruel, but it's to two people. She burns so many motherfuckers in this season, in this episode. She just burns all the motherfuckers. Really sets the tone for her ruthlessness when she wants to be. So while I do agree, Justin, you've got a lot of key moments or great moments in season four. I think there's just a little bit more of them, especially for the overall tone of the show. Like, I think season three does more thematically for the whole series of Game of Thrones than season four does. I think season four might have better scenes, better moments throughout the season. Like, ultimately, like, yes, might have way more individual moments and scenes throughout it that are great. I think this just sets more the tone that you really get for what people love about Game of Thrones. I think season three is what encapsulates the love people have for Game of Thrones. Just a little bit more. And that's Yeah, I'll my be case. honest. I mean, that Red Wedding will haunt you. <laughs> that is just like... I don't care. This is happening kind of moments. And you really just are so shocked by it. And that was, yeah, I totally agree. Like that is such a standout, like top three moments of that show for sure. Maybe just the first, the most, the top. <laughs> it's so in, ingrained in you when you see that. Just the shock factor plus how they do this and all of it. It's insane. Yeah, and I do think it's a little bit above shock factor. Like, I do agree. It is the definition of shock factor, but it's not unnecessary shock factor. Like, it very much serves a purpose. There's complete oh, plot for with sure. it. And, and I think yeah. that that's what makes it better. I mean, they just took out, I mean, they took out Rob and Catelyn, Rob's wife and baby and like just everyone's just gone and the dire wolf and all the the other people yep. like yeah so many people yeah and that's a scene that um that I have gone back and watched um quite a few times just because of how memorable it was and I've seen what you're talking about some of the reaction videos of people and how they reacted when it happened and everything like that and yeah you could argue that that is probably, uh, if not the top moment, it, it's it's got to be one of them. Like, I don't know how anybody could walk away from this show and not think that the Red Wedding was a significant moment in the show. So, yeah, that's the one where I when I think about season three, that's what you think about. You think about the Red Wedding um, and everything like that. And I guess like when I made this decision, what it came down to me was, well, well, is, you know, and I almost picked season three because of the Red Wedding. But then I felt like, well, I, but but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, should I pick this just because it has that like and you gave some real um good other other good reasons for why you thought uh you think season three is the best. Not saying. um that I'm against any of that. But for me, to me, the most memorable and the the best thing I could think about when it comes to season three was the Red Wedding. And that's what I would always revisit. That's what I would always kind of want to watch and go, damn, dude, that shit was just crazy, man. What happened to all those characters? But I just feel like when I think about season four, 
there are so many reasons of things that I would catch myself going back and watching in season four. And I don't know, I guess that's where I based my decision. I get, I can see what you're saying though, as far as maybe plot points and story developments and them getting a lot of these things, you know, going in the right direction and three season three, brand, all these things that happen sort of branch off these storylines and allow the rest of the seasons after it to develop them. So I get the, uh, the, the, the harbinger sentiment that you have for season three. But for me, I was like, well, four, I, I watched that more. There are more reasons to go back and watch that than there are. You know, I feel like if I watch The Red Wedding, then I'm done with season three. But if when four, I can go, I can watch Joffrey's death scene. I can watch The Mountain. I can watch The Hound and Brienne. I can watch The War on the Wall. I just feel like it's just way more rewatchable. And so I gave it the torch for that. But no, you made some good points, though, about season three. Nothing that I can really disagree with, you know. I mean, and I get that. I, I also watched the last episode of season three over and over again. Like I said, Daenerys burning those motherfuckers with the dragons. I just <laughs> absolutely love it. I mean, and I think what makes the Red Wedding so impactful is, yeah, people were surprised by Ned's death. But the way they shot it in the episodes makes it less impactful because... It's mm. the axe coming down at the end of one episode. And then you, they give you time to think, oh, he, he's, still, he's probably still alive. They're not going to kill him. And then the next episode, you just see them like throwing his head away. And you're like, oh, no, I guess he's dead. You know, so you get that break, right. though. You know, you get time essentially to process it. You're like sitting there thinking, oh, they're not going to kill him. But I guess if they did, you know what I mean? You get that break period. Whereas then the Red Wedding, they just go, nope. They're unquestionably dead right now. Like that's mm -hmm. the first time that they really go. There's no possible way this is undone. And I think that that's what really sets the tone for the rest of Game of Thrones, because I think that that is what sets the tone for Oberyn getting killed by the mountain, you know, but, but I'll say this. It doesn't make it any less impactful. You know what I mean? Just because you're surprised in the Red Wedding and all this other stuff, then you're surprised by Joffrey. You're still surprised when the Viper gets it. Like, and yeah. I think that's a testament to this show is that it catches you off guard with that shit. And you know better. Like, if you go back and rewatch Mountain and the Viper and Oberyn's fucking beating the shit out of, of, of the mountain, he's cutting him and stabbing him and he's doing his thing and he's like, say your name say your name what did you do and all this other stuff and you just you should know better you're feeling good because yeah. Oberyn's beating the mountain <laughs> you know better you know that that's obviously going to end bad but nope you let yourself get wrapped up in that show and you're just going mm -hmm. man Oberyn's taking care of business no possible way he's going to die now and then dies and this and the show gave you no reason to think he would not die this show literally told you over and over again, nah, he probably going to die. And you still let yourself go, nah, he ain't going to die. And then he does just right in front of you. And it's just one of the things that I will give this show that credit that it gave you zero reason to actually believe Obram was going to survive that fight. And there wasn't a single soul out there watching it that didn't think he was going to, though. And that's on us. We are, we are the ones to blame for that. 
the show told us he was going to die. And we went, <laughs> maybe he won't. I'm going to be optimistic in the most non-optimistic show ever. We were still all optimists, like a bunch <laughs> of fucking marks. Yep. Yep. And maybe also, too, just because of like scenes like the Red Wedding, you didn't really know if Tyrion was going to make it out. Like, yeah, he you was thought Tyrion was going to die. A lot of great. Well, yeah, he was having so many great moments and stuff. And you just you just felt like. And well, so whenever Oberyn is fighting. Yeah, yeah, you thought there was a chance. You just kept thinking, oh, there's a chance. He's going to get his get out of this somehow. But man, they really just pushed that to the midnight hour. And I mean, you just kept waiting for something to go wrong, you know, it, it because and I think, like you said, it's because of Ned Stark and it's because of the Red Wedding. So now you're watching thinking, man, he ain't going to make it through this. There's no way he gets out of King's Landing, you know. So, yeah, I get some of that. What you're saying for sure. Man, that that was such a good show. It really was. I know. R.I.P. Game of Thrones. R.I.P. Do you guys want to move on to another number two? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. All right. To be fair to Heather, she's still not going to go. She'll just get the back-to-back. You'll get the first back-to-back, Heather. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing it. I've been giving you the first back-to-back to make up for me All stealing right. what was going to be your turn. Uh, Justin, Thanks. what's your number two? All right, Sterling, it's your favorite. Some anime shit. Man, that is some list. shit I ain't never going to watch. <laughs> yeah doc oh man uh okay so th- this was this was really tough because when i'm thinking about tv you know i didn't want to not uh mention something that was animated and so i started thinking about okay I-, I knew i wanted an animated selection so i was like okay well w- what are some animated tv series that i've enjoyed over the years and i was like okay well I was really big on The Simpsons, but nah, man, I don't think, you know, I mean, there are just so many episodes and so many seasons. How do you even begin to try to narrow that down? So I was like, nah, I ain't going to even try to (laughs) narrow down a season of The Simpsons, though, if I thought long and hard about it, maybe. And then I almost went with Batman, the animated series, the first season, which is excellent, by the way. I mean, probably one of my favorite like animated seasons of anything. And then finally, um, I landed on, um, uh, on a season of Dragon Ball Z and a season of Naruto. Cause you know me, I'm the, uh, I'm the anime lover of this group. So I was like, well, which one am I going to pick? And, and kind of for some of the reasons that you were stating earlier, Sterling, I was kind of in my, you know, paying homage to the oldies, uh, giving credit words to do kind of phase. Um, for the first couple of days, I was struggling with this. And I was like, you know, man, if it's coming down to Naruto and Dragon Ball Z, you got to go with DBZ, man. That's the original. If it wasn't for DBZ, then you wouldn't have this show about Naruto. You know, the one really is the reason for that the other exists. And I was racking my brain with it and I was like, and I narrowed it down to my two seasons and I was like, okay, which one am I going to pick? And I wound up going with Naruto and I had a a friend um, in college and I hope, and maybe he'll listen to this. So Paulo, this is a shout out to you, random shout out to a random person you guys don't know, but Paulo, I got this from you. And I think you said it best when you when one day randomly in my dorm room, you said, 
you know what Naruto is? And I was like, what is Naruto? And Paulo, you said Naruto is Dragon Ball Z without all the bullshit. And (laughs) that was all you said. And to this day, man, and I just laughed at that time. And now here I am years later, man. And I got to tell you, man, you were right. It the the things that Naruto does well, it does everything well that Dragon Ball Z does well, but it doesn't take forever to do it. It doesn't go five or six or seven episodes of two people standing there and nothing happening. It doesn't make those mistakes. It develops all of its characters. It 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 makes every character down there feel important and intricate to this ninja world that it builds and this story uh, that it's trying to tell. So, and and when I thought about what do I go back and watch, Jaston, what, what do you really go back and watch? Do you go back and watch that season of Dragon Ball Z that you about to tout? Do you go back and watch that more than this season of Naruto? And the answer is no. I couldn't even like in good conscience say that. So, that's how we arrived to this. So even though DBZ, I'm giving you a shout out, I had to go with your superior show that did you better than you did yourself, uh, Naruto. So for people who are like confused right now, just to kind of tell you what Naruto is, Naruto is about this, basically this ninja village, this ninja village called Konoha, and they're the leaf village, if you will. And there is this... um so all it's about these students, all of these, uh, they, they start off as kids and you get to see them grow up into teenagers and into adults throughout the series. Something else that really doesn't happen in Dragon Ball Z. So you get to see the maturity of these characters and how they transition. But it's about these uh, students that live in this ninja village and uh, they all have goals and they're all trying to become uh, these higher level ninja in this village. And, you know, there's, and there's this one character in particular named Naruto, and he's the main central character that this centers around. And his goal is to become the Hokage, which is kind of like the president, the grandmaster of this ninja village. And throughout its Naruto's world building, not only is there fighting and stuff like that, but, you know, the, uh, you know, w- within all of the, the ninja storylines, there's political storylines. There are other kingdoms and other villages and there are blood feuds and families doing this to that to each other. And there's all kinds of like, you know, um, intrigue of what's going on and different care and certain characters starting off good, but turning bad. Other characters bad, but then they wind up being good guys. And it's very much like kind of like a Game of Thrones where you have all of these kingdoms and all of these things going on in these different villages. You got the leaf village that I talked about where our main character is. There's a sand village. There is a water village. There's and all of these villages have these different ninjas that have these different special abilities about them. And I mean, anything that you can think of, and I'm not talking about running around in ninja costumes, throwing, you know, shurikens and Chinese, you know, Japanese stars or whatever. Although they do some of that, I'm talking all kinds of abilities, like anything that you could think of, like from an X-Men comic or 
Marvel Comics, you get a lot of that stuff here. You know, characters that can turn into animals, characters that can do all of these crazy things. But uh, so that in a nutshell is kind of what Naruto is. It's the story of the of this this ninja kingdom, so to speak. So but I chose uh, season two of this if you're in the United States and you kind of know what I'm talking about. So if you go to Netflix and look up Naruto, this will be season two. However, in Japan, this is season one. So I just wanted to make that distinction just so, you know, if you're a person who watched the subtitles and you watch mainly the Japanese version, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about because the, the season one of Japan for Naruto is 56 episodes. But when it came to the U.S. and they dubbed it and everything, they cut that in half. So the first season in the U.S. is about the first 25 episodes. But the season I chose for this particular, for my particular number two, is like episode 27 through 56, which is called the tuning exams. And and basically, not to get too explaining heavy with it, but basically what the tuning exams are is that all these students that we've been following to a certain point, they now have to compete in this tournament where they're analyzed by all these officials and stuff like that to become what they call tuning, which is like the next level of a ninja that you can become. So when you start the ninja classes and stuff, you're what they're called a Genin. And then in order to not be a Genin, which is the first level, you have to take the Chunin exam to become a Chunin ninja. So that's what we're doing here. We're following all these characters and now they're at this period where they're all trying to make that transition to the second level. And what's cool about it is that is that you get all of these great fights that kind of ensue in this because all of these characters are kind of put up against each other in these fights where they're being tested on using their abilities and stuff like that. So you get to see all of these interesting characters fight each other. And really, it is some, really, the reason why it's here and the reason why it's so high and why it's number two is because I really think that this that this season has some of the best like anime fights that I've ever seen. Like just as far as, because it doesn't, it's not just people fighting, but they tell a story. You get to see the motivations of these characters. You get to see why they are the way they are, what they went through to get here, what their resolve is. And the fights are just so well written in how they were. And also they're so well animated. So you get to see all cool kind of chess matches uh, between these characters and stuff like that. And it just makes for just all of these wonderful moments. And, and just to kind of give an example of a moment and I'll move on. But like, for instance, you've got this one ninja and what he is, is he's a shadow manipulation artist. So what that means is literally what his power is, is that he can link his shadow because everything is done based off of key, which they call chakra in this. But key, you know, you summon the powers of nature and you can do all this stuff. Well, chakra is the word used in Naruto, but basically it's key. It's the same difference. But what this guy, this one, this shadow manipulation character does is he uses his key to link to his shadow and what he can do is what he can extend his shadow to a certain distance 
And if he is able to latch onto your shadow, then he basically has control over your body. And then you have to mimic his movements. So what's cool about this show, and I'll just give one example about it, is that, okay, so you got this character and he's fighting this other character who's like a distance character. She can manipulate whirlwinds and stuff like that. And she's seen this uh, character fight earlier in the tournament. So when they go into this match, she's like, okay, I've seen him fight before. And I know if I stay a certain distance away from him, this shadow manipulation can't catch me. And if I stay kind of in the air, if I stay out of his range, there's no way he's going to be able to catch me. So at first this is working. And you know, this, uh, so this one shadow character, he's trying his hardest to try to get her and she's jumping around, flipping around, using her wind to her wind chakra or wind key to propel her up and out of the air and out of the way of him and stuff like that. And there's this game of chess going on this back and forth. And it's like, can he get to her? And she's not letting him get there. She's starting to win this battle. And it looks like he's going to lose this battle. And and so then all of a sudden he's like, okay, my shadow manipulation is not working. Well, let me use some of my weapons and try to hit her with those. So he now he's taking out just weapons that he's armed with, shurikens and ninja stars and stuff. And he's trying to throw those at her and she's dodging all of these different weapons he's throwing. And she's like, man, none of this is ever going to hit me. I'm too far away. You can't hit me with anything. I'm eventually my wind powers are going to overtake you. And he's getting beat up by all these wind attacks that she's throwing at him. And she's like, you know, you just need to give up. This fight is over. And then the next thing you know, this character is caught in the shadow and she's like, what the hell? She looks down and all of a sudden she can't move her body anymore because he has caught her. Well, what happened was and the way he caught her and this was just like why this show is so cool. Like um, and maybe if you're out there, if you watch anime, you'll appreciate this. But the reason why he was able to catch this character is because Three fights earlier, there was a there was a fight between two other characters and this hole was kind of made in the ground. One of the characters fell and there was a hole kind of made into the ground. Well, you know that the inside of that, because the guy went into one part of the hole and then he came out the other side and he hit the guy, slammed him. And so it created kind of like this crater on the battlefield. Well, anyway, that was like three or four fights ago. Well, this shadow manipulation character, he saw that hole and realized I can link my shadow to the the front part of that hole. I can go in through the ground. And if she's close enough to that hole, I can bring my shadow up on the other side and catch her. But she wasn't over there. So he threw those weapons purposely to manipulate her movement to get close to this hole so that then he could trap her and catch her. And that's how he beat her. So that's just and that's a small example. But there are a lot of fights like that. So it's not just characters fighting and hitting people with punches and kicks, but they do all these cool little chess matches with these characters. And it makes you just um, appreciate the fights even more. Um, and the last thing I'll say about it, uh, I don't want to bore you guys too much with this because y'all are probably like, uh, I would never watch this. But um, the last <laughs> thing I'll do, though, um, is that I will say this, though. 
if you're out there listening to this and you are a fan of anime or you are just a fan of fights in general, I implore you, I I implore you, I beseech you to look up the the episodes of Gara versus Rock Lee. It's two characters uh, that that wind up fighting each other in the series. But you can't go to YouTube and watch it because it'll cut and skip. You need to write, watch it the right way. You need to look up the the episodes. It's three episodes long, and it's Gara versus Rock Lee. It is one of not only I think the best fights I've seen in an anime, but I just think as far as cinema fights, any cinema, real, animated, whatever, it's one of the best fights I've ever seen. And when you watch those three episodes together, you get to understand this character and his resolve and what he went through to get to that point and everything that happens with the fight. It's just such great back and forth action. It's animated so incredibly well. I mean, it's really just one of the best cinematic fights that you can watch. And the way the story ends, it's very emotional with the story that they give you. And it's just really a memorable moment in that show, if not one of the most memorable moments in that show. So yeah, I just thought I'd give something animated, some love. And my pick for tonight is Naruto uh, season two, the tuning exams. Check it out. Some of the best fights you'll see in a show. That is some high praise. I think I know maybe um, two or three other people who might know the show you're talking about. And that would be for one, Devin. I imagine Devin probably knows this show. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Our friend, our friend Devin. Um, my brother, I believe, would know this, and probably Bola, our friend Bola, I believe, would know this show. Yep. So, yep, you wouldn't would be know. completely on your own. But unfortunately, yeah, I, I think Dragon Ball Z was the extent of the anime that I ever watched, and that was um due to my brother. And <laughs> so, I am not very knowledgeable in the anime, <laughs> but you, I, I imagine that, um. Those those handful of people would probably have the same sentiment you do about it. Yeah, yeah, and it's um definitely not something that everybody. But that's but like my friend said, it's DBZ without all the BS. So like, if DBZ is the <laughs> only thing you've seen, then yes, it's full chalked full. It's very slow. It's slower paced, and it's chalked full of just like meaningless moments of characters that don't mean as much stuff like that. But I will say with this one, that's how it differs from Dragon Ball Z. It really builds this ninja world. It's kind of the same kind of thing where you've got a character where he's got his motivations and determinations, but also there's something inside of him and he's insecure about it. He doesn't feel that it's something that is a good thing for him, but it's about him kind of coming to grips with that, understanding that, and then later using that to empower himself and others. And then on top of that, not only is that a good character, but all there are all these other characters that are just such great, memorable characters with rich stories and everything like that. And I mean, you just find yourself rooting for everyone, even if they're not the central character. And I think that is such a big difference from Dragon Ball Z. Like Dragon Ball Z does a little bit of that, but this is like 
this is like everybody grew up who wrote Dragon Ball Z grew up, matured, and they were like, okay, we made a lot of mistakes there. Now let's write something and not make any of those mistakes. And that's kind of what Naruto is, but eh, it's neither here or there. You know, it's, it's anime, so it's of an acquired taste anyway. But Naruto is widely considered one of the greatest anime ever. And for reasons why. And some of the reasons why is just for things that I said. It's just really great with its characters. Yeah, no, I got nothing. I ain't seen that shit. (laughs) Uh, The only thing I know about Naruto is apparently some people wear headbands. And it's the reason why a bunch of motherfuckers run around all stupid with their arms, like, stretched out behind them. That's the extent of what I know about Naruto. Yep. (laughs) The Naruto run. Yep. And... (laughs) I just hope that one day I will have the opportunity to continue never having seen that show. (laughs) Oh, man. I just, I have zero, I I mean, it's the thing. I have zero desire ever to watch it. Just ever. (laughs) I'm not saying that anything you said is wrong whatsoever. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, it's fucking anime, dude. You know I ain't going to watch that shit. (laughs) I know we have this thing where I'm supposed to be watching anime people, uh, suggesting all this other stuff and we're gonna do that part two whenever justin finally gets around to watching this (laughs) the the sad thing is is i have seen what we're supposed to do for our second episode of that and justin hasn't yet so that episode will come because i was the one that took my assignment seriously and watched it and justin's an asshole that didn't but what was justin's assignment no no well we started with castlevania because justin recommended that to me now a couple people from work and uh, somewhere else, I don't remember where, but they recommended a different show. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is everything in the world I hate about anime. Why the fuck would anybody ever suggest I watch this when I've already said the reasons why I hate it? But somebody did. So I won't say the name of the show yet until Justin watches it and we do the episode. And the sad thing is, mm, Justin, okay. is we have a listener request to watch Naruto. <laughs> so that would actually make me watch it. But because you haven't gotten around to watch this other one yet, we can't even move to that one. You have a reason to make me watch Naruto and you're not even taking advantage of it, Justin. See, I oh. thought it was like a trade off. Like he had you watch an anime show and you're having him watch something else. No, the whole point is to make me watch anime because Justin oh, loves right. it. And it's like to, it's it's you're supposed to give me examples that would change my mind about anime, you know, like, Hey, Sterling, you know, you've said all this other bullshit about anime. This one's different. Watch this, you know, to like try to change my mind. Except like I said, the first example that of what people have, other people have like said I should watch is everything I hate about it. And I'm like, why? And just for the fact that I already watched it, I am still waiting for Justin to watch it. I refuse to watch anything else <laughs> or any of these other suggestions <sighs> until Justin watches this other one. Because I don't even think Justin's going to like it. I really don't. I don't think you're going to like it, Justin. It's terrible. But since I already watched it, I'm waiting for you now. Man, I got to get on that, man. I totally forgot about that. And I need to do it. I would do it. I'm not you. I'm not I'll asking you to say the name of the show. Do you remember the name of the show? No. Uh the yeah. Quetzal Cult Phoenix goes to Riverdale. No, what's it called? Phoenix goes to Riverdale? What? 
are you trying to like do a like a Phoenix Wright goes to Riverdale? I'm not gonna lie. I'd watch the fuck out of that. I would. I'd watch that. Because I do take that back. I have watched anime since then. I have watched the Phoenix Wright TV show. And it's it's just retelling the game. I love those games. So it's just yeah, a TV great. form of the games. I'll take it. But yeah, Justin, get on that shit. And I'll remind you the name of the show after after we're done recording. Because like I said, I don't want to spoil it for anybody else. I don't want somebody to warn Justin. I don't want somebody to give Justin the cliff notes or anything. No, no, no. I want him to watch it unprepared. Yeah, none of those three or four people I mentioned, you know, don't go giving him some cliff notes. Well, of the show that I'm not going to name. So there we go. Um, yeah. So anything else on Naruto? Because I got nothing. Mm-mm. All right. On that note, Heather, what's your number two? Okay, so my number two, um, I am going with Psych, which should not surprise anybody who's ever listened to this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going with Psych season four. And I have this weird thing that I've recently realized with television shows is that I tend to really enjoy around seasons four and five the most of my shows that I watch the most. And I don't know, for me, it's like that they're in a groove of they they already have the characters developed and the dynamics of the main players of the show, but it's not so far in that it's like already ending, you know? And so that's kind of like the sweet spot for me of the seasons that I like for a lot of television shows. And I mean, even like Parks and Rec season four is my favorite and uh, Criminal Minds season four is my favorite. Like just all, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, four and five is kind of where I sit with the seasons I like most. But so for, um, yeah, for Psych season four, I'm picking that one. And um, I think Jess and I assume, I'm pretty sure you said you've watched a little bit of Psych before. So I think you know at least what the show is. But Mm -hmm. um, a little bit. Yeah. So basically, yeah, just in brief summary, it's a guy who pretends to be psychic to kind of get himself out of trouble. But then he ends up helping the police a lot with a bunch of cases. So him and his best friend kind of like start up a psych agency and get hired by the police to solve cases because they think he's psychic. So it's very funny. It's a very odd and like there's so many ways that the show could not work. But for whatever reason, it just really works. It's so funny. And I know a, a lot of it is that the the main character who is played by James Rode Rodriguez is he writes a lot of it. And so it's a lot of either ad-libbed improvised stuff or it's just stuff that he's written that's just very funny. So the way he delivers lines, stuff like that, that's why it's so funny. And his chemistry with Dulé Hill, who plays his best friend, is just so funny. But um, season four, I think they have some really great cameos in that season. A lot of what they do is they make a lot of obscure references to 80s stuff. And I mean, they have like Judd Nelson from, um, what is it? Uh, Breakfast Club. They have him in an episode in it. They have Carrie Elwes in an episode. They have, they just have a lot of like good cameos that they do in in this season and i'm trying to think there's one more big one in that season oh and they have michael michael rooker from the walking dead and guardians of the galaxy he's in an episode of it so they just they have a lot of really good um 
you know, supporting cast people in this season. And it's honestly the reason I chose it is because kind of like Jastin's talked about, for me, this is the season I watch the most. If I'm watching the show, this is my go-to season of what I like. And it's just some of the funniest episodes of television that I've ever seen. I just think they do so many good things with it. I mean, there's an on again, off again, like will they, won't they relationship with the main character and, you know, one of the detectives and you kind of get a lot more of, you know, that storyline in the season. Um, It's just, it's just very funny. I mean, you even get like an episode where he gets kind of kidnapped and shot, but they still make it funny, but also serious. And they're like some of the big ones. And I know Sterling and I kind of talked about this on the uh, movie episode we did about Psych, the um, yin and yang, Mr. Yin and Yang episodes that they do. And this is like, you know, their final episode they do of the season is one of those. And I think it's the first one with yin, right? Sterling, I think it is. But yes, it starts um, with yin. And then yeah. in season three, you get Yin, and then four and five has Yang. Right. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, but it's just, it's so funny. It's just so very cleverly written. And it's just, it's such a fun season. I mean, you even get an episode with like, oh, that's who it was. Jaleel White, who plays Urkel. You know, you got him and you got Keenan Thompson in it. And, you know, the the two of them and one of the other guys, they're in like an acapella group together. And it's just they've got some really super random, funny stuff in this season. And for me, that's why I love it the most. And it's just this is my show. If I just if I'm having a day where I'm like, I I just want a good laugh. I want to get my mind off stuff or whatever it is. Psych is my show that really helps me kind of like take my mind off of craziness in life. (laughs) Like I just, if I want something funny, this is my show that I go to. So, and this is my season that I usually go to. So that is why for me, um, it is season four of Psych is going to be my number two, just because it's funny. It's well-written. And again, all the characters are just so, so great. And, um, they just all play off so well together and it's just more developed. And it's also when Lassiter, the detective who's kind of like not a fan of the main character, he kind of comes around more to actually liking them and sort of, you know, getting along with them kind of thing. And and that's always a good dynamic because when he's kind of on board with who they are, he's a lot better in the show. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm choosing that one as my, Second best season of television. I don't know, Heather. Oh, boy. I think season five is better. See, that honestly was like I was trying to decide between the two because four and five like, yeah, because five has like the Fast and the Furious episode. Like it's got some good ones. I think it's got the Born Identity episode they do a rip off of. Like it's just I, I could see like why five would also be better for people. I mean, you get the conclusion to the Yang storyline. You get Jules and Sean together. You get another yeah, Despero episode. I think the better Despero episode. I would agree with that too. That is the better Despero episode. You get that. Man, I don't know why. Fright Night episode. <sighs> yeah, and that is a good one. But I also really, in the fourth season, I love the one where um, they do like the exorcism 
So they're basically doing like a a thing about the Exorcist movie. <laughs> and like that episode to me is one of my favorite episodes of the whole show. It's just very funny, very clever, and it, they just do it so well. And then there's like a there's an episode where they have to stay the night to solve a case at like a fake Western town. It's just all these ridiculous things, but they just make it so funny. And I just I feel like they're it's it's just one of those shows that it could so easily have been a terrible idea. But because of how like how on point some of these one liners are and how well the lines play off of each other with the characters, it's just so funny. So, yeah, but then you also get the the Close Encounters episode in season five. You get, uh, I do love that episode. Yeah, you get the um, you get the 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 police academy episode where they have to go to the police academy and it's got Ralph Macchio in it. You also get mm. the Dual Spires episode we talked about earlier, where it's completely an yeah. homage to Twin Peaks. See, so. they're just so good. They are so good and. It's just crazy because, like, there's I have like a favorite episode of every season. Like, also the vampire episode is probably one of my other favorite episodes ever of the show. But yeah, I mean, like, they're just the the cameos that they do. They're just so they're clever, you know. Because I mean, you just they reference a lot of eighty stuff, and they just randomly throw eighties actors into this show, and it works. I mean, maybe, but oh, I just, I don't know. Season five, season five is it's a close one. Yeah, season five is great, too. I honestly, I was really a toss-up between the two. And again, interchangeable. Ask me tomorrow, season five might be my favorite, because they're very close. I don't know. Jasmine, do you have any thoughts? Uh, Man, I just wish I had seen more of the show. I think I just remember... The, the few episodes I've watched, I think I watched them because there, there were wrestlers in them. And I want to say, didn't Psych <laughs> used to come on like right after wrestling or yep. just before wrestling or something like that? It was yeah, I want to say it had. It was, it was because yeah, it was on so, the USA Network. So wrestlers were yeah. on it all the time. Yeah. And I want to say a few times they would be like, hey, watch this show because John Cena is yep. going to be on it. or Yeah. And that Miz was a season gonna, four. That was a season okay, four, see, John Cena. So yep. See? Yep. And I saw that episode. And I saw another one with uh Mike the Miz, uh Mizanin. Yeah. Um <laughs> I forget what character he plays, but I know he was in it. And I want to say sure, they were advertising. I know that Charlotte Flair was in the movie. She, she was in the first movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And John Cena. Yeah. John Cena also makes an appearance in that too. So yeah. And and, yeah. and like the episode I remember watching. That the, that those that they were in, I thought that they were pretty funny episodes. I didn't understand everything. I just was <laughs> it was one of those. OK, it was after wrestling. They advertised. So I was like, man, let me see what John Cena's doing in this. And like it was a pretty funny episode and they were making wrestling references. So I appreciated that. It And and from what I understand, they do that all the time. Like they're, they make references. Re- references to wrestling and stuff constantly in the show. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so a I show that was pretty cool. Like, that's the thing about Psych. Oh, okay. is th- they reference all kinds of things. Obscure, oh, okay. 80, like, obscure 80s music. Um, old 80s movie. It's a lot of it's the 80s. Even their wrestling references, a lot of it's the 80s. But, I mean, like I said, they have an entire episode that's just one big reference to Twin Peaks. You know? So, hmm. that's what the show is kind of built on, is just 
like in like Heather was saying, because they do they 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 get a lot of old eighties TV and movie stars and just stuff like that. Like I said, Ralph Macchio is in mine in in, in season five that I was talking about. You know, yeah, they have like a high school reunion one that's kind of making fun of or just kind of paying homage to uh, Breakfast Club. Like they just they do a lot. And, and yeah, um, movies, Police yeah. Academy. Yeah, John Hughes movies and like the police police academy movies. They just do a lot of re- references that they just make it work. And actually, it's funny too because Jason, I think I remember that. Um, I think it was at least one of the times. Maybe you've seen it more than once, but the one with um, the not the John Cena wrestler, the other guy <laughs> that you mentioned. The um, he yes. He was, I believe that you watched that episode while we were, while you were here in Chicago for PodFest that we did. Cause I remember, I remember us watching like the very, at least the very end of that. Um, and it's got like Wayne Brady in it. Like it's just so funny. It's where they're doing like a, they're making fun of The Bachelor in that one. And they're on like on a Bachelor reality show. And yes, he's we one did of the Bachelors. Watch. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's also very funny. But yeah, I, it's totally like, they he just kind of does it whatever he wants i genuinely feel like james rode rodriguez just kind of said these are the things i like and i just want to put them in the show so i'm gonna do it like i feel like that's pretty much what happened there do you want to know a little bit of trivia about him also yes big tennessee titans fan all i'm saying that's true i actually do remember hearing that because i he posts a lot of stuff like about tighten up (laughs) see that's all i'm saying so, yeah, but that is it's just really a very I I almost want to say underrated, but the more like I, I've talked to people about this show, people have seen it more than I think people have seen it, I guess. But it's it's very, very funny. Any other thoughts? Nope, sir. All right. We're at the end here. Heather, what is your number one TV season of all time? It makes it sound so crazy when you say of all time, because people might be like, what are you talking about? But I'm going to say all time favorite season of television for me, Friday Night Lights, season four. (laughs) Again, season four. And I actually I love every season of Friday Night Lights. I think every one of them has something different that they bring. And it's so good. Season four is that's when they bring in some more interesting characters in some ways. They have um, like Michael B. Jordan's character comes in and uh, Journey Smollett's character comes in and they just they have characters that have um, really good storylines in season four, like um, Michael B. Jordan's character, like his mom is a drug addict. So he's like kind of taking care of everything and He's trying to stay out of trouble, so he joins the football team. It's just a it's just a very good backstory for these characters. And um and I don't I don't know, like again, Jason, I'm not sure how much you've seen of Friday Night Lights, but I know that I mean, for those that don't know what that is, it's basically a town that loves football and like a coach comes in to basically make this team like a winning team. Um, but It's, I mean, there's just something really impressive to me about Friday Night Lights in general. And it's for a couple of different reasons, which one being they actually film everything like on location. They don't do sets. It's actually at places, every scene and everything they do. They don't do sets. They just, they're actually on location at the places that they're filmed at. 
And I think that's pretty cool that they do that. And also, my understanding is that a lot of the writing, they have they have certain things that they write and certain like things that have to happen in this this um, episodes, but they get to do a lot of kind of, you know, change your lines, do some improvisation if you want, you know, move how you want. And a lot of it's really it's very organic and natural conversation that's happening between the characters. And I think that that's really impressive because they still touch on some really profound stuff. And they really but they, they're speaking as if they're actual human beings. Like it just it doesn't sound scripted. It sounds very much like people having conversations that you're hearing. And I just think it's very impressive and just very cool how they do it that way. Um, because I don't hear about many dramas um, that actually allow you to do that. You know, like comedies. Yeah, sure. It's like, oh, that's a funny thing. Put that in there. But they just, you know, the directors and everything, like they allowed them to really just naturally like say this how you would say it and, you know, move how you would move. And I just think that that's really a a big part of what makes the show so good. Um, Season four, um, aside from the fact that they bring in some really good new characters, the the overall storyline of that season is really good, too, where it's kind of like the rival football teams and the coach was coaching at the one and now he's at the other team and he's got to make this terrible team better than his other team. And, you know, they come head to head and they finally have like a, you know, you know, they they play against each other. And, and it's just a very good storyline. And I also just like that there is an episode. And in my opinion, it might be one of the most well acted episodes of a show that I've ever seen. And again, part of it because it's a lot of just him doing what he wanted to do with it. And there's a character on the show named Matt, who's the quarterback. He's played by Zach Guilford. He um, there's an episode where his dad, who was in the military, died. And it's kind of just like him coming to terms with that and finding out about it. But he has a very complicated relationship with his dad. So it's just a a whole episode about him dealing with the passing of his dad. But everything that he does in that episode is so like, you've never seen anybody play somebody who's lost a parent like that. And it's really heartbreaking because it's real. Like it's so it seems so real. Like, I mean, just scenes where he's like, you know, he's like apologizing for everything because he feels bad that he's running late because he's sad about everything. And then he just kind of has like a mental breakdown in the middle of dinner at someone else's house. Just very organic stuff that actually happens when you lose a parent, (laughs) like things that are very easily things that could happen. And just the way he did that, it was so captivating and so heartbreaking at the same time. And I really just think it's one of the best performances on television that I've ever seen. And I think that that's also why this season is one of my favorites because that is just a gem of an episode. And even if you don't watch like any other like episode of that show or of that season, that's the one because it's just a powerhouse of acting and storytelling. And yeah, so that's why that's my pick. I don't know. My big issue with Friday Night Lights is the fact that they don't actually eat at a Whataburger until season five which means the show is incredibly inaccurate and a big lie until season five. So I'd have to say season five is my favorite just because that's more authentic. 
And that's the sole reason they, why. When they went to the Whataburger, wasn't it in like a bigger Texas town? Like, yeah. Because where they live super small. Yeah. So maybe oh, they didn't have on. a Whataburger. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't give a shit. And at least, at least they did they had reference two high it. Schools. They had two high schools. They big enough for a Whataburger. Come on. <laughs> big Spring has one high school and they got a Whataburger. Come on. Come on. Come on. I mean, do they get points that since they film on location, they were actually at a Whataburger when they no. filmed that? <laughs> I'm just saying they didn't mention anything until then. I just think that's some bullshit. Oh, boy. I mean, and it's I know it's a very like I feel like it's kind of probably a random pick, but also it's just man, like everything about that show is just very profound. And I've also never seen a show that portrays a relationship in a marriage so organically than than this show with the coach and his wife like it is just if you ever wanted like a master class on seeing probably how a married couple actually is this is it like everything about their relationship is so it's it's so well written because you see the fights and you see the like misunderstandings and you see just how supportive they are it's just a very it's a very well fleshed out relationship and I appreciate that because, you know, it's just it just feels very naturally like what a marriage would be. And I just think that they're they're so good at how they do the characters and like, how would these high school kids act? Or how would this, you know, rich person from the other school act? Just very every detail is just there. Yet at the same time, it's still very organic because they're able to say it how they would say it. You know, so I I just think it's really cool. Yeah, I never saw the show, but um, I know it has a good reputation. I just um, I don't know. I think um, maybe at the time when I heard that it was coming out, because uh, there had been a Friday nights, a Friday Night Lights movie. And Mm -hmm. I want to say that um, and and I had seen that and and thought it was okay. You know, I, I, I it was it was not a. Wasn't a bad movie. I think it's just I never right. saw the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like middle of the road for me. Um, but I wasn't just as interested in like uh sports movies as I am now. Now I have a much better like appreciation for them. But at the time, you know, it was kind of middle of the road for me. And when I heard that this series was coming out and I was like, oh, they're gonna devote a whole series to that. And I was like, um, How? I don't know, for some <laughs> Yeah, I was like, how are they going to do that? And I guess I just assumed that it was going to be about the same people in the same story. But that is not what this is, right? Is this about? It's completely Permian? different characters. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. So this it's is not a, a fictional t- town called Dylan. So no, okay. this is not about our home area, Justin. Uh, as the <laughs> yeah, movie very was. different story. Yeah, because I don't think anybody okay. would watch five seasons of a show based on Odessa. <laughs> no offense to Odessa. I actually don't understand all the heat that Odessa gets from Midlanders. I don't understand it. I'm just saying, no, this isn't about Odessa. It's not about Midland. They actually do reference Midland once because there is a murder in season three. And they're like, oh, we need we need a detective to come oh, up yeah. from Midland to help us out. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. yeah, it's that type of shit. But no, it's in a fictionalized town called East Dillon. It really is. It's a lot about the the football aspect of it. It's the same mindset and culture of the movie Friday Night Lights and yeah, and our hometown. You know, it's a lot of that sentiment still. Um, 
I will say this. The coach in the TV show Friday Night Lights is nowhere near as shitty as the coach was in the movie Friday Night Lights as a person. Okay. So, okay. I don't and he's, mean, like, he's played by Kyle Chandler. And like, I have a soft spot for Kyle Chandler. I just think that he's very, like, something very charming about him in like literally everything he does. So I'm a very big fan of him. And Connie Britton plays the wife and I'm always a fan of her. So, yeah. Uh, no, she was great in American Horror Story the first season. I liked her in that. Yes. And I will say this about Kyle Chandler. I was kind of with you on that. I actually thought, especially after watching Friday Night Lights, uh, I thought he was kind of underappreciated in a lot of things. And then that was yeah. all ruined in Godzilla King of Monsters when his stupid <laughs> human face was in the middle of my monster fights. And I got fucking tired of seeing his fucking <laughs> face. I hate him now. Oh, no. And But the thing is, too, Jason. the interesting thing is, I am not somebody who's like super into sports shows or movies. Like I literally know almost nothing about sports in general. And this is my, one of my favorite shows and clearly one of my favorite seasons I've ever seen of television. So if that says anything about the quality of this show is that it made me watch a show that's essentially about football. So, but don't worry, Justin, there's still some foosball in it. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. And they and don't I guess win I every just... game. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, oh, I hope not. But uh, yeah. Oh, and see, I guess I just assumed because of the name of it that it was just an expanded story about the the stuff that happened over here in my hotel that and you know i guess i just assumed it was about the same stuff so now that i hear what it's actually about and you know i never kind of went and dug in any further i just saw the name friday night lights the tv show and i went oh they're doing a tv show about that and i just assumed it was the same thing and never looked back i did too yeah but uh but it's very popular you know i know a lot of people who like the show and um, it's it's a popular show. It's got it's critically acclaimed. I know that. So uh, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about the show since then. I just never yeah. picked it up. But yeah, I don't blame you. I, I've heard and- <laughs> the same sentiment from a lot of people. Yeah, and fun fact for you, Sterling. They tried to like make um a show of this, like I think in like the nineties, and Ben Affleck was supposed to be the main character. So see, that would have been legit. Um, but no, Justin, it's like a modern version of it. It's not like the late 80s, like the movie was. Um, it really is about the culture that the movie kind of also represents, you know, that Texas football's God type of mentality. You know, right. it's a lot of it has to do with that aspect of it and the culture that that brings to a town, to the players, the students, the coaches, those type of dynamics. Um, no, I was I was the same way, though, Justin. I heard they were making a TV show based on it. And my first thought was, who the fuck's going to watch five seasons of shit about Midland and Odessa? <laughs> who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah. And and then I just and then I wrote it off. I never fucking thought about it again until like, honestly, I had listened to a bunch of podcasts. I listened to a ton of podcasts from people in Australia and they were talking about Friday Night Lights and how it was a great show and shit. And I was like, what the fuck did I miss? Because these fucking Australians are talking about how great Friday Night Lights is. So that's when I was like, all right, I guess I'll watch it. Yeah, and it it really is a different beast than the movie was. But if it tells you anything, 
the tagline of the show is um, Texas Forever. So just take that for what it's worth. <laughs> fuck that. The, the, the tagline's Texas Forever, yet they don't like have Whataburger till season five. Come the fuck on. <laughs> you know what? If that's going to be your biggest complaint about the show, I will take that. Even well, though for you, that's like, you know, the worst thing you can do. It's probably my second biggest complaint. There's a story arc in season three, and I won't ruin it in case Justin wants to watch it. There's a story in the story arc in season three with what's his name? Jesse Pinkerton or whatever his name is. Yep. Jesse Plemons is in this. Plemons, yep. Yes. Jesse Plemons. Uh, I don't like that. I think it's one of the I worst agree. story arcs in the history of ever. And totally agree. I will say this, though, if you're ever watching it and you're like new to it and you're like, oh, this storyline is awful. Don't worry. The show realizes it also and just abandons it without ever mentioning it again. Like Correct. five or six episodes in. So they give up on it And it's really unfortunate. It it's yeah. unfortunate because it involves probably one of like my favorite characters of the show. So I'm just like, why would you do that? You ruined everything. Yeah, but the show realizes their mistake. And like I said, they abandon it and act like the storyline never happened. So I'll right. give it that credit at least. Anyways, that's all I had. But yeah, Friday Night Lights, good stuff. You ready, Justin? Uh, Sure. What is your number one TV show? season of all time of all time well kind of like heather you know um i'm kind of in a similar place like who knows maybe um you ask me in a few days i might say a different answer but for a long time this has been my answer and um i think it does deserve to be in my number one spot but i'm going with breaking bad season five which is the final season of breaking bad and I want to say this might be the only pick out of us all where somebody actually picked like the last season of a show. So if that's any indication of how well Breaking Bad ended, that's an indication right there. You know, this to me has one of the best endings to a series. Uh, and that's why season five is here. Just the way that everything happens and everything culminates uh, with that season. I just think it's just so well done. This the Breaking Bad really is one of the best shows I've ever seen at just building tension uh, with characters. It just makes hardly any mistakes. It does almost everything right. The uh, acting that you get in the Breaking Bad series, and before I, I guess I get into uh, specific actors, I'll just kind of break down a little bit about uh, what the um, what what the show is about, and I guess just kind of give like a brief, yeah, synopsis of the show. But but basically, the show centers around a character named uh, Walter White, who is a high school chemistry teacher that um, actually gets with a former student of his and he finds out, and this is not really a spoiler, this kind of happens and sort of sets up the, the, the journey of this character, but the character finds out that he has cancer and right. And at this moment, he's a chem teacher. Life is not all that great at the moment. And he finds out that he has this cancer and he feels like, you know, the clock is ticking for his life. And in an attempt to kind of 
see that his family is better off and stuff like that. He winds up forming a friendship with a former student of his, Jesse Pinkman, and he actually becomes a uh, a chemist for making, uh, and he, since he's a chemist, he actually uh, gets into the drug game and he makes uh, crystal meth and starts to sell it. And so at first, so what first starts as just kind of a guy in a midlife crisis doing something for a sense of adventure, all of a sudden, not only does he become good at making drugs, he becomes one of the best <laughs> makers of drugs on the streets. And, 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 you know, his knowledge of chemistry kind of, uh, aids him in that so he can make quality stuff that other people out on the street can't make. And it really is about this rise and fall of a person getting into that world. It starts as a little gateway action he's doing, but then he winds up full-fledged in the world. So as each season builds on each other, it's about him going from just being, it really is kind of like a drug dealer's story but it's trapped in a middle-aged man named Walter White. So you get to see him out on the streets, hiding this from his family, different things like that. But then it gets deeper and deeper. And then now, and then all of a sudden you're finding your, your um, neck deep in all of these other things and all these people that you owe. People are killed in this show. Uh, he gets deep into the kind of the, um, the 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 underground syndicates and gangs w- within this world. So that kinda is the story. It's about this person, kind of this rise of um a drug dealer to this cr- to a crazy amount of power, and then of course you got to have an eventual fall in the end of this. So that is essentially what the story is about. But through all of that, you have all of these interweaving storylines with his wife and his and his son and everything that goes on with this relationship with him and his former student turned uh, partner in crime, so to speak. So by the time you get to season five, it's just so great. And there's an episode um, in season five uh, called... Uh, Ozymandias, or the same name as that guy from uh, The Watchmen. Um, Same name as him, but that's the name of the episode. And I really think that kind of like how I said that 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 episode of Game of Thrones in season four is one of like the best individual episodes. I really do think that this episode in um, Breaking Bad, I do think it is one of the best episodes I've ever seen. Just as far as big events that happen in the show, there are some key things that happen to some characters in the show so as not to ruin it. There are some things that happen with Walter White and a family member. And finally, everything kind of comes to a head with this family member and all these crazy things happen. And there are so many like dramatic scenes. And, you know, there are people that, have been kept in the dark about this whole thing. And now all of the truth about Walter White is starting to come to light. So you get all these crazy events that happen and there's so much tension and there's so much great acting uh, b- between the the characters on this show. 
And it really just makes for just some of the most gripping television that I've ever seen. And I mean, if you know anybody who's seen Breaking Bad, they will probably tell you the same thing I'm telling you. It it really is just one of the best television series, I think, ever, because it starts strong and it ends even stronger and it ends in a satisfying way. No ambiguous stuff going on in this. No bad uh, no bad reveals at the end of it, kind of like what Heather was saying with Lost. There's, it's not like Sopranos where, you know, the, 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 the screen just doesn't suddenly go black when we're in a restaurant and you kind of wonder and it kind of leaves it open to kind of interpretation of what happened. And even though I like that, I get the sentiment or why the ending of Sopranos was polarizing. This is not like that. Even something as great as Game of Thrones where, we talked about in detail in our episode about how it just didn't quite stick the landing with how it ended. Well, this is a show where I am saying without a shadow of a doubt, the final season is its best season. And part of that is because it ends in such a satisfying way. Uh, you get to see everything here from a person being doomed to moments of redemption to a fall of a person to a person kind of becoming something that he never thought that he would be and kind of morphing into the thing that he feared he would become in the first place. All of that is kind of here. And when it ends, it's very reflective and it's very uh, pleasing. And you just have so many like great iconic characters um brian cranston uh cranston who plays walter white he's just great here like he's great as this character he has so many just wonderful moments with aaron paul who plays jesse pinkman uh jesse pinkman and anna gunn as skylar white who plays uh walter white's wife they have some great back and forth in this series and you get to kind of see her transition as a wife um, who's kept in the dark on this whole thing and how it kind of affects them uh, as a family. So you just have so many um, great performances in this. And uh, Bob Odenkirk is another standout performer in this. He plays um, a character named Saul Goodman, who is a lawyer, but he's a crooked lawyer. You know, he's kind of a crook lawyer. And uh, and there's a great line that this character says, like um, he's he's talking to one of our central characters. And I just I have to say the line because I thought it was just a genius line. But he's like, you know, um, uh, he says, you know, if whenever a criminal needs a lawyer, and I've got to kind of abridge it here, but he was like, you know, if you're a criminal that needs a lawyer, what you really need is not just a lawyer, but you need a criminal lawyer. And it was such like when he when Bob delivers the line, it's such a great play on words with the whole criminal lawyer, a lawyer that is a criminal too. like it's just a great play on words with that so like uh 
I, I just really appreciate moments like that in this series. And Bob Odenkirk, the, the series was so good. And that character, Saul Goodman, is so good that then they then made a series based on that character called mm-hmm. You Better Call Saul, which is the story about how he becomes this criminal lawyer, so to speak. And it's his journey. And that show is excellent too. So, you know, I would even recommend that show. But before you watch Better Call Saul, you've got to watch Breaking Bad. And it's only five seasons long. So the show didn't go that long, not because it couldn't. It was one of the highest rated shows when it was on in syndication. But but they thought that that was a good place to end it because they didn't want the show to overstay its welcome. They didn't want to try to overcreate and try to extend it uh, just for the sake of money. So just for the sake of the story being as tight and as good as it could be, they ended it at season five when they really could have kept going. So, so, and I think that's another testament to why it's so good. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't go all these extra seasons or try to cram things together to try to make it work because we've overstayed our welcome. It, it starts at, at a good time and it ends at just the right time, uh, at the end of season five. And then, um, another, um, iconic character in this is Gustavo Frank who plays one of kind of like the mob bosses or people in this. And Gus, and and they call him Gus often, Gus Frank often. That's what he's often called in the series. But man, what a meticulous, like smart, conniving, strategic, like adversary that this guy becomes for Walter White. And just everything that kind of happens with him and the Walter White character it really is something uh, to behold. So I implore you, if you have not seen Breaking Bad, you need to give this show a try and you need to find out why it is called one of the best shows ever in television history. It's all true. They're not lying. Give Breaking Bad a try and you will not be disappointed once you get to season five, which is my overall best season for tonight. I feel like you were calling me out directly because I haven't seen it. (laughs) (laughs) They did a movie on it too, right? I didn't see the movie. El Camino? Yes, Yes, El Camino. And that, just to quickly talk about that, and it's a great movie also, but that's um, the actor Aaron Paul who plays Jesse Pinkman. It's a little bit of the story about what happens to him after the after breaking bad ends so you get closure for that character that you didn't uh or at least you get more closure for that character you get an idea of what happens to that character in the aftermath so and and it's also a great movie too i loved el camino yeah and aaron paul is a great actor i really Man. like him a lot He's and wonderful. so is, I mean, I mean, everyone is, I mean, Brian Cranston's great too. I also, and again, speaking of Friday Night Lights, Jesse Plemons is in this too. I just remembered. Um, but he, I mean, I watched the first two seasons of it and it's a great show. There's absolutely nothing about it that's bad. Um, it's just one of those where like, you know, that a show isn't your cup of tea at that point, you know? And I think it's just... I don't know. Like, it's so heavy. And not that there aren't a lot of shows we've talked about that are 
are heavy, but it's there was just something about this show that I was like, man, this is a good show, but this is so heavy. So trying to binge a show like that can be really difficult. <laughs> it's the same reason that I also like I I tried to binge Game of Thrones for a little bit. And then I was like, you know what? At season four, like I had to kind of stop because I was like, man, this is a lot of stuff to take in. And I feel like Breaking Bad is kind of that way too. Not in a bad way of like, you know, I don't want to watch it because it's bad stuff on the screen. It's just very heavy and dark, you know? Yeah, and, it is. And, that's, and a lot of morally gray stuff that happens exactly. with the characters. Yeah. Very gray characters. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. And and it's there's absolutely like, honestly, even in the two seasons I saw, I'm like, I can't really think of a bad thing about the show. Like, it's very well acted very good and detailed storyline. You know, it's there's everything about it is there. It's just, you know, shows, uh, especially when it comes to shows like about drugs specifically and stuff like that. For me, that's not necessarily shows that I really, I, I'm not drawn to those types of shows as much. Um, but I totally understand like all the hype about the show, because even in what I saw, I was like, yeah, I get it. But I just, I never really caught back up after I watched the first few seasons of it. But I completely understand why this is on your list because I've heard, I can't think of a single person who's seen it that's like seen the whole thing that says anything bad about it. So, well, I haven't watched Breaking Bad. (laughs) I have seen the first episode like nine times because I'm like, all right, now I'm going to do it. And I I started episode one. I just never do. I don't know why. And it's not Best that anything in the first episode makes me not want to watch it. I just never have. And at this point, I feel like I don't know if I can because I'm like, <laughs> it's just it's it's been too far gone. I just don't know. I just never have. No, I don't know. Do it. It's one of those things. I don't know why, but I've just I've I'm like, all right, I'm going to start it. And I start it <laughs> and then I Same. just never watch another episode ever again. And to be fair, like I want to say it was not till maybe three or four episodes in that I was like, man, this is good. The others, I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, I was kind of just like, yeah, that's fine. But I think it was like three or four in is when I was like, man, this is going to get real. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I know that I know, I know the plot of the show. I, I know how it ends, you know, just because I exist in this world. So I know how the show ends. (laughs) Um, Right. But I just haven't done it. But I will say this. This is my contribution to this segment. Crazy little, you know, callback to the beginning of this episode where you can kind of think Twin Peaks for Breaking Bad existing because like I was talking about is X-Files was big because of Twin Peaks. X-Files is where Vince Gilliam got his start. Like his big, like, that's where he became the guy, you know, which then led to Breaking Bad. So... Thank you, Twin Peaks, for Justin having a number one season. Hmm, Nice. Didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, that's my contribution to this since I haven't watched it. But from what I've heard, and like like Heather said, and and, and, and you said, Justin, it's everybody I know that liked the show loved the ending. So, I mean, that's a testament to what it did. That very rarely ever happens. So, good on them. AKA lost. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. They They didn't lost it up. They didn't Game of Thrones it up. <laughs> they they ended it how they wanted to, and everybody loved it. So that's good. They did. They definitely didn't Dexter it. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Dexter. 
Oh, poor Dex. Yeah. Oh, Dex. So. And the spinoff shows of this show are good, too. Better Call Saul and the El Camino movie are of great quality. And Bob Odenkirk, see, that's why I really want you to watch Breaking Bad, because then you can watch Better Call Saul, which I think you will enjoy more than Breaking Bad. Why can't I just, just watch use- Better Call Saul? Can't I just understand he's the criminal lawyer and watch it? I don't know. No, because there are characters from Breaking Bad that come in. Man, they and I don't think you'll shit. appreciate. I don't think you'll appreciate it as much if you hadn't seen Breaking Bad. Man, I don't want to. Man, that's like homework. I don't want to be forced to watch a good show to watch another good show. Jeez. Jeez. But it's a spinoff. So you got to. <laughs> so it's got to be Man, branched to the other There's lots show. of spinoffs that have nothing to do with the other one. Oh, Elk Mantis. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I wish I had more to say, but <laughs> if you wanted to talk about that first episode, I mean, I could probably talk about it, but I can't. <laughs> um, do you guys want to go to the final number one? Ready? The one that is actually the best season of te- television ever? Yeah, we'll go into oh, that that's one. that's why you wanted to go last. Oh, I, I get it. I completely rigged it to go to this. Yes, of course. That should not be surprising at all. So... If you know anything about me, if you know anything about me, especially on this podcast, there's no question what show my final season or the, you know, my number one season will be from. It's from The Wire. That was never in doubt. My problem was, is I had to choose between seasons two, three, and four. Uh, I also could have made a case for one and I could have stretched it a little bit and made a case for five, but I had to choose between two, three, and four. And ultimately... I settled on season three, the hamster dam season where they create a drug. Okay. Section of city to just unregulate, let people do drugs just to keep them away from other parts of the city. The season where, and this is the reason why I chose the season and this is a big spoiler for it. So I guess if you haven't seen it, I don't know, hit four fifteen seconds. Um, this is the season where fucking Omar goes and gets Stringer Bell. Fuck, that was so good. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as a social commentary when it comes to drug usage in America and are what cities are willing to do or not willing to do to actually effectively try to combat it, uh, is just saying a lot. You know, there's a lot of cities actually out there in the world that have like drug usage zones where you can go to a hospital or not a hospital, but like a clinic and they give you heroin, but it's like medically administered by a doctor because they would rather you do that. than go just do heroin and whatever kind of garbage heroin you have by yourself and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. so this is one of those things, which was kind of groundbreaking at the time, as far as TV goes, but like, it's actually doing a commentary on that where, You know, maybe the traditional ways of combating drug use and trying to minimize it, especially in the destructive way that it can be, that there are alternatives other than just throwing them in prison and that maybe you're just not willing to accept it because it does kind of logically go against logic. It goes against what was the common prevailing thought for so long in America that, you know, maybe there are better ways of doing it. And this show was actually willing to actually show an example of that with, you know, it didn't actually happen in Baltimore, but it was, you know, it's a concept thing. 
but it was a fucking great thing. Like in the way they showed it and where you also, while it was supposed to be also a slightly positive thing, it also shows the negatives of it too. It's not just like a show that wants to be like, oh, if you just do this, everything will be fine. People can do drugs and everything's okay. No, it still shows you the downsides of it too. You know, motherfuckers just still ODing in that side of town instead of another. You know what I mean? It still shows you the dark griminess of it all. And that's one of the things I've always loved about The Wire is that it is not unwilling to show you the darkness of it. And I mean, this is also the season where McNulty gets busted down and isn't a murder police no more. And, you know, like I said, I mean, skip ahead 15 more seconds. Omar come and gets fucking Stringer Bell. Man, that was so good. And you didn't if really I remember see it right. Yeah, that yeah, if I remember right though, like it seems like he kind of knew it was coming though, right? <laughs> well, Stringer kind of did. Stringer knew Omar yeah. wasn't coming for him, like wanted him. But I think the whole setup of it all, the fact that like Barksdale has something to do with it really like sets the tone for this that like it's, you know, while they, you know, you might have these allegiances and you might have these partnerships and friendships and relationships none of that is sacred sometimes when it comes to the game and i think that that's what really hit stringer was like i that's the, what's so impactful about that stringer gets hit by literal bullets and the metaphorical bullets of knowing that more or less his best friend sold him out yeah you know so he gets emotionally and physically murdered in the same scene because he also knows that he has it coming because he's done that shit to other people. He is in the first season whenever he has fucking Barksdale's cousin killed. Yeah. Without Barksdale knowing it. I mean, it's just oh, one Idris of those Elba. things. It's this culmination of so much from the first two seasons that you it just comes to a head end in this. And I love it because it's all juxtaposed behind also that there's the new kingpin of the streets, Marlo, lurking behind all of it anyway, too. So while all these people are so focused on Barksdale and Stringer and all this other shit going on, Marlo is just sitting back and while they know of him and they consider him a threat and they do try to go after him, he just still bides his time. And it just kind of shows that, you know, even if you want to go after one person or another, there's still someone else. You're still not combating the root problem that all this comes off of. And this is also the season where you get into some of the politics of actually being like you know the 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 city politics of baltimore and stuff like that this is where you get Littlefinger running for fucking mayor of baltimore you know and it, it just to me is one of the best examples of everything that the wire is and like i said at any point honestly before i said it out loud i could have switched to season two when you get into the dock unions and stuff like that or season four, where you get into the inner city educational system of Baltimore and stuff like that. Both of those seasons, or all three of these seasons, are incredibly powerful in their own ways. And it to me, it's 1A, 1B, 1C. If I'm being honest, when I'm saying all this, it's 1A, 1B, 1C. I have a three-way tie for this, <laughs> but I'm going in depth into season three. But I also want to just kind of leave it out there that like, Man, if you haven't watched The Wire, just go fucking watch it. What's wrong with you? Go watch The Wire. It's like the best show ever. Like, why wouldn't you have watched The Wire yet? I'm just saying. Go watch The Wire. <laughs> and that yeah, concludes my Yeah, I mean, my I, I can't disagree. It's the best show ever. <laughs> so obviously, 
its best season is the best season of anything ever. It's just how it works. I mean, I can't like disagree. Like that's a it is a great show. Again, like super heavy and like hard to binge. And again, I I tried to binge it, <laughs> but it's I mean, just how they do everything is so good. So I mean, I can't I can't really fight you on 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 anything you're saying with it. And I think that that is the season I like as well. That one, I think in season four are the ones that I I would consider probably the best seasons of The Wire. Um, also, thinking about this, I feel like there's so many different ways that you could do six degrees of Kevin Bacon in this, <laughs> in this episode with all of the like shows and the people that are in all the shows. Well, yeah, I mean, but, um, well, we talked about The Office earlier. Uh, Holly from The Office is in The Wire. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of his character off the top of my head for whatever right now, but Idris Elba is in The Wire and is also in The Office. Uh, you know, yeah. Little Michael Finger. B. Jordan. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan is in this and he's in Friday Night Lights. Uh, the guy that plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones is in The Wire, you yeah. know. So many of these people got their starts in The Wire and they ended up in all these shows we're talking about. And yep. that's one of the fantastic things about The Wire. And like also one of the craziest things about The Wire is it's Baltimore and it's got a weird mix of British people and then literally people from gangs in Baltimore make up a huge <laughs> section of the yep. cast of this show, you know. You you've got a lot of people in this show. There there was there's a couple of actors in this show that literally had been like off the bus from prison for like a week before they were on the show because they could play that part more authentically than anybody else. You've got Wasn't Snoop one of them? Yeah. Yeah, she was great in and then, that. And then you've got people like Idris Elba and uh oh shit, why can't I remember the, the guy that plays McNulty? Um I'm trying to think of his name too. But yeah, they're from and, and the guy that plays Littlefinger. They're all from fucking Britain. And they're in the show. And they sound more like Baltimore than anybody I've ever heard. I mean, when oh, yeah. McNulty always calls him he, he doesn't call him he's not a homicide detective. He's not anything like that. He's murder police. I fucking love that. That's one of my favorite things about the show, is their murder police. Dominic West. Yes, Dominic West, thank you. And like it goes back, and this isn't season, any of the seasons I've really talked about, but one of my favorite scenes in all of television history is in season one of The Wire. And it's McNulty and Bunk, and they're at a crime scene doing an investigation. And, and all they do throughout the entire scene is say the word fuck in all kinds of yep. different and beautiful ways. They are <laughs> able to completely have a conversation and an investigation and a in in everything, literally just saying the word fuck in all the glorious ways that the word fuck can be used. I mean, it's an inspiration, <laughs> really, because I like to think that I am a very adequate person when it comes to using the word fuck. I think I use it in a very nice way. I don't feel like it's forced. I think it just sounds like it's a very natural, beautiful word when it comes from my voice. <laughs> but I, 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 I can't even hold a candle to those guys. The way they do that scene is Shakespearean poetry with the word fuck. It's it is just, pretty clever, for sure. It's downright eloquent. And it's just like, shows, I understand everything you're saying right now. <laughs> yeah, you do. You understand everything. You never get lost. You literally think in your head, you're hearing the words that they mean whilst also hearing the word fuck. Goddamn beautiful. I think that that scene is the scene that made me fall in love with The Wire. 
I think I liked it until that scene. And then I fucking loved it. I believe that. My love for The Wire knows no bounds. If there was a female embodiment of The Wire, I would marry it. No, don't get me wrong. It wouldn't want to marry me because it would be too good for me. I understand. I'm not delusional. (laughs) But I would. If I could, I would marry it. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Because I think, honestly, there's nothing I can say about it. Just go fucking watch it. It's better than anything I could say. Yeah. Like I said, I can't argue with you. I mean, any season you would choose is going to be a good choice. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed The Wire as well. And it's one of those series that I kind of caught late. I just barely, just uh, really late last year, uh, finally binged it and watched it all the way through. And yeah, I thought it was great. I thought that um, it's very, it was ambitious. It's very insightful. I like the perspective that you get with this perspective of criminals and then also the police that are hunting them and everything like that and just all of these little interweaving storylines and stuff like that and then as the seasons move on it feels like the series always matures and goes in the right direction and then getting to go from uh seeing how this affects uh criminals that 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 are lead ringleaders of these gangs and the the drug selling on the street and everything and then going from that to um to then seeing how it affects like the youth that are surrounded in the city and stuff like that how it affects them then also getting the political aspects of it and seeing how all of that affects um how all of that comes into play with this person who's running for uh, uh, an elected office there in the city. And so how the all these interweaving things are connected and uh, other, you know, drug kingpins and stuff like that, everybody kind of fighting for these turfs and stuff like that. You you know, you've got how it affects in schools and how sometimes how, you know, you got this one cop, Prez, who was part of the team that was on the wire. And then he winds up going to try to be a school teacher. And then it's funny that even though he thought that he was leaving an environment that had all these politics and all these things going on, only to discover that a lot of the things that he left the, the, the force to avoid some of those concepts and things were still very much alive there mm-hmm. at the school, him, him trying to be a teacher. So I just loved how it kind of showed that even though all of these are different worlds and even though, you know, over here you've got the police and then over here you've got kids and what they're going through and over here you've got the criminals uh, uh, and, and then over here you got a elected official. But they showed how all of these worlds kind of have these similar concepts. There are greedy people. There are liars. There are people trying to take advantage of other people. There are, you know, you've got people that's got, that's got to watch their back and you've got temptations to do wrong things and trying to overcome that. And then trying to be a good person, but how sometimes in trying to do the right thing, you got to do bad things and the compromises and the characters make and stuff like that. I mean, all of that is kind of there. And I love how they look. They kept switching 
to the different perspectives and the different worlds of these people. And as different as those worlds seem, they were a lot alike in a lot of core ways. And I think that really is the the triumph of the show. I mean, how do you even pick a, a best season of this? I mean, but for me personally, I really just enjoyed season two with the union dock workers and stuff like that. I just think that that change of scenery uh, the Sabaka and what he was going through and trying to keep his union workers and then the whole mystery of what happened and how this person was killed and just everything that happens with that. It kind of took a lot of the characters uh, out of the comfort zone of that and kind of put them in a completely different situation. And we're tracking these new people trying to figure out this case. And yeah, like you said, Holly or the chick that plays Holly in the office was in this was very much um, involved in that season. And I thought she was a great addition. Uh, the, the the situation with McNulty kind of being taken out of what he was used to and then, you know, uh, getting kind of wrapped up in the case the way he did. So I just really loved that season, I think, because it just felt a lot different from the other seasons. And I don't know, sometimes I just like when a series takes chances or tries to give you something a little bit different from what it's set up before. So, so, so that was pretty cool. And then season four, kind of like what you said, Heather, that's another favorite of mine. I just, I, I, I like the Marlowe character. I, I really liked that character and how different he was from Stringer and, uh, Bargsdale. I, I, I just, the way, how he was and how meticulous he was and methodical he was. And he was a man who said very little, but, but he almost was like a genius when it came to like his strategy and how he did things and how he anticipated behaviors and different things like that. So I just really liked when that character was put up against our uh, cop characters, at least in detail. He was already kind of there. He was emerging in season three, but seeing how he handled the the streets and how he handled the corners in season four, that was uh, really, all of that was really a lot of great stuff. And then, um, of course, uh, one of the standout characters, um, not only uh, McNulty, but um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. But are you talking about his uh, partner, Bunk? Yes, yes, him, man. That that was another standout character for me. I I loved his partner. I thought that they had um a very good dynamic. And then the younger police officers, their names escaped me, but there was a black one and a white one, and the the and the, and, and they always and they had a good dynamic too, man. Ellis. Um, from Walking yes. Dead? Yes, yes, yes. Him and, uh, yeah, and and that's right. He sure is in The Walking Dead. Okay, I knew I recognized him. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I knew I recognized him from something, and I could not put my hand on what else he's from. But, yeah, Walking Dead. But, yeah, him, I really liked him, too, man. The, I, the, those were just two other great characters in this, so... Yeah, man. I mean, everybody did a great job and the kids really did a great job in season three as well. Yeah, I can't forget to tout them. All of those kids well, just did a wonderful job. So. Yeah, yeah. And 
So, like, my big thing with The Wire is, like, yeah, there's supposedly good guys and bad guys, but, like, it really kind of blurs the lines with it because every time you want to root for the cops, they do something shitty. And every time you're like, fuck the drug dealers, they do something nice. And it really humanizes the quote-unquote criminals in a realistic way, you know? It just doesn't go, hey, write them off because they're criminals. No, they have layers. They have depth. You see why a lot of them, especially like some of the young kids, get into that lifestyle because of Mm -hmm. what they grew up in or what's around them and what opportunities they think they have. Especially in season four, you really get to break that down. I mean, outside of Marlo, even Stringer and and Barksdale have some redeeming qualities to them, you know, yeah. like Marlo is the one that actually ups the ante and goes straight villain on shit. And but he does so, like you said, in a revolutionary way within the show, because he's not Barksdale. Yeah. He's not Stringer. He comes across originally. And I love the beautiful twist they do with it, that he comes across like, oh, he's just like a brute with how he handles things. But like you said, in season four, it kind of blossoms out to where you see the methodicalness of it. And like you said, yeah, he is a genius of being a drug kingpin. Yeah, he's a genius. He he was doing the shit that Stringer was trying to do. And Mm -hmm. Stringer was doing all these things and trying to do all these deals and try to legitimize legitimatize stuff and trying to really do it. Marlo just did it because he was that crafty. He was that street smart that he didn't try to pretend to be anybody who that he wasn't. And he just was methodical. And I think that was the greatest thing you said, Justin methodical. Yeah. And how he, he was. He really was like a criminal mastermind. Like, I mean, I just can't think of any other way to describe him. And I loved it because, like I said, he did, he wasn't arrogant about it. Or, I mean, he definitely had a confidence, but well, yeah, there was he just was he didn't talk about, about it. Huh? He yeah, didn't talk he was, about it. Yeah. And well, yeah. Andy was top dog. Like, he was the boss. Like, yeah. You know, but he was also so unassuming. That's what I loved about him. Exactly. And the thing is I loved is that, especially in the show, the cops originally underestimate Marlo because they're like, he can't be, he's not like Stringer. Stringer's a real mastermind. Marlo will be easy compared to Stringer until they actually start really getting at Marlo. And they're like, oh shit, this guy is just in a lot of ways, light years ahead of where Stringer was. Yeah. And I mean, just I mean, just the way he did things, you know, hardly ever had a traceable conversation, just made sure he was uh, never anywhere where he needed to be, would purposely go places and do things so that all when they would surveillance him, all they would see is a pattern of a person doing all of these normal things like <laughs> all the video footage. Everything that they had of him was just of him doing normal shit. And all that normal stuff he was doing was all methodically planned to make it look like he was just somebody having a normal day, living a normal life. But in but in between all these other things and deals and things going on that he was kind of orchestrating and just how he would make decisions, you know, he would hear advice, he would listen to people, but ultimately 
it was his decision that he would make. And he never, he just had a wonderful poker face too. He never let anybody really know what bothered him or worried him or anything like that. He hardly ever showed those sides to him until, you know, the going really got tough, but he just was incredible about that. And I just really thought that just like, it's weird to say, but just like out of like criminal characters, like on this level, he's got to be like one of the greatest mastermind criminals, like in fiction, like just the way he went about his business, man, there weren't too many like him. And like you said, normally it gets to the point to where a villain like this is a caricature and they don't feel real and they doesn't feel like a person sometimes. Sometimes you just know when it gets to Hollywood and he never once felt like that. He never felt like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just do want to shout out also real quick. Lance Riddick's in this. Love my boy Lance Riddick. And also Michael K. Williams. I mean, come on. Omar is one of my favorite characters in this show. Like, hands down. Oh, yeah, like, Omar was the shit. Man, Omar, yeah. Come, yeah. man. But, like, going into what Heather was saying, that one of the, one of my favorite story arcs in all of the show was the characters of Slim and Snoop. And then, like, where you just yeah. kind of think they're hit people, you know? And Snoop more or less was. But then there's a great scene where she's trying to find a a nail gun and trying to find the best one and all this other stuff. And that's an amazing mm. ass scene. But also the thing is with Slim is like I said, you just kind of think he's a murderer and all he does is murder and all this other stuff. But in that season four, you get to kind of find out why he is the way he is and his backstory without him going, this is my backstory or somebody going, this is his backstory. Just based on his actions in certain situations, you learn what happened to him and what kind of ended up leading him down that path. And I thought that that was one of the most amazing ways of telling somebody's backstory out there, you know? Mm. And it's just, yeah. it's just so ingenious. And it's one of my favorite things about this show. And it's why it's a little hard to get into in the first season. I'm not going to lie. But it's because they literally just, it feels like they just take you and they drop you in the middle of Baltimore in 2000 and go, you're invisible. Just watch shit happen. Right. No, that's very accurate for sure. Yeah. Because this, I mean, this, this show was created by an, an ex Baltimore cop. David Simmons was a cop in Baltimore. And I think that that does add to the realism is it wasn't like, mm. it was like a cop just consulted for something just to get some points that they would also ignore other stuff later. No, this was written by a cop. That's why a lot of it is so authentic is because you get to see really what it was like in a lot of ways. Mm. and it's just it's so great like i said they just drop you in and so it takes a little bit to get your bearings it does but if you stick it out it is 100 percent worth it because you will get your bearings you'll get a hang of what's going on you'll get to know what these characters are about it just does take a few episodes to get there but i think that that's one of the great things about this show and what makes it feel more real fuck i love this show yeah <laughs> but I think we're going to have to do another part of this uh, episode to where we can talk about our honorable mentions and stuff. Cause I do have some of those. I specifically want to talk about why I didn't put them in this. Cause I've got very specific reasons why I didn't. 
and also to get into the fan stuff. I just don't think we have time to now because it's almost four hours now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, this episode will probably be about three hours and 20 minutes once I'm done cleaning it up. But just so you guys know, recording time, we're at almost four hours. That's why we're going to maybe do like a little short bonus episode where we just do some honorable mentions and some fan picks and throw that out there for you guys. Because this is a long and this is a really long episode. <laughs> so let's have mercy on our fr- uh, on our fans and let's end this now. Okay. So. Thank you guys for going on this long ass journey with us on this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out at the, on the internet, www.cinemaslayers.com. I think I said way too many W's. Um, you know, the normal amount of website W's. Uh, we're on Facebook <laughs> at Cinema Slayers podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema underscore Slayers. Give us a rating and review. Uh, let us know what you think. What are some of your stuff? Because we know it's hard, especially if you have to rank these one through four. Because we still didn't talk about a lot of other shows. Like, we've talked about in other episodes where that fourth season of Dexter is amazing. Maybe we'll mention that in our honorable mentions. Who knows? So check that out. I promise you it will be 9 billion times shorter than this episode. And other than that, guys, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the Best Picture winner. I didn't want to interrupt our new song. It's so cool. I was like wondering if that was it. If it is a new song, <laughs> is that why you didn't say anything? Yeah, I, I had to let it play. And then, uh, you know, I'll pick it back up next time. But I, I wanted to hear it. Yeah, I wanted to hear it. Give it one episode unadulterated. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah.